Instead of syncing your phone with iTunes, downloading an MP3 into your mobile device, you can stream episodes of MTR with the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Stitcher allows you to listen to My Take Radio via your 4G, 3G, or Wi-Fi connections. Downloading it is quick and easy. Head over to stitcher.com forward slash my take and you'll even be eligible to win some money. Enter my take all one word in the promo box and you'll be eligible to win $100 courtesy of my take radio and Stitcher. MTR Live starts right now. Are you ready? This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio episode 146 for Thursday, July 12th, 2012. The call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number is 347-324-3541. Our feedback line is 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. All right, we got another week, four episodes away from the big MTR 150. Uh, super pumped. <clears throat> I um got a couple of things in store for 150. Hopefully they all come together. I am going to let you guys know that starting from MTR 150 going forward, um, I'm going to start publishing the episodes directly on the site as well for people that are subscribing to My Take Radio via the RSS feed. Um, a couple of people that subscribe to the RSS feed for the site don't have the opportunity to hear the shows going forward so starting with mtr 150 we're going to start putting them on the site so people can listen uh via their rss feeds you'll still be able to listen to the show via itunes and all the other outlets as well but by adding it to the rss feed people from that particular audience will be able to check out the show as well also we're going to start doing a mtr newsletter for email subscribers it's going to have some of the featured articles of the week um, a couple of uh, certain certain bits of content that are going to go out, especially to those email subscribers. That's going to go live this weekend, um, particularly because somebody had asked if I was doing any, you know, MTR newsletters that would condense all the stuff and they can get it in their inbox. We used to do something like that a while back, which was the MTR Weekend Review. The only reason why I haven't been doing it is because... You know, we publish so much stuff to go and jump back and condense everything. It it feels a little redundant. I mean, either way, people are still getting access to the stuff, but we're going to start doing that with the MTR newsletter debuting this weekend, hopefully. If you want to sign up for it, there'll be a sign-up section on the site, probably in the corner, and you'll be able to sign up for that. 
Joining me tonight, we're going to have Josh from MMA Valor. He's going to come through. We're going to talk a little bit about this past weekend's UFC event. We're also going to talk about yesterday's UFC event that he was a large part of. He's going to share some stuff about the event. And we're also going to talk some MMA news as well. Also, if you've been on MTR this week, you probably saw the post about the Ouya console that was funded via Kickstarter, almost $4 million thus far. Um, very, very controversial topic. A lot of people are super pumped for the system. Others are, uh, I don't even want to say not optimistic, um, but just not happy with what the, where this is going, particularly because some feel that, you know, with all that money that they've made, there's really no incentive to buy the console when you have a mobile phone, but We'll see what happens. Kevin's going to shed some light on that and share his thoughts. We're also going to get into some gaming news, and we're going to touch a lot on the Ouya console only because um, I have my theories on it, and Kevin, I'm sure he has his as well. As usual, if you want to call in and get involved, 347-324-3541 is going to be the number for that. Also, last but not least, of course, MTR, Stitcher, We've been doing really, really great numbers with it. I'm glad so many of you have embraced the Stitcher model. I'm glad. Uh, just a quick reminder, you use the MyTake promo code for Stitcher. You'll be eligible to win 100 bucks. I mean, you guys heard the announcement at the top of the broadcast, but just a reminder to use that code, and um, you'll be able to get some dough from Stitcher. It's 100 bucks, but 100 bucks is better than nothing. Also, make sure to check out MTR's Behind the Mic with Srini Rao from Blogcast FM. It's uh, been exclusive for the app the last couple of days, and it'll probably be released to the general public, I'd like to say, by Monday or Tuesday. It's a great interview. Srini was a cool dude, and uh, Blogcast FM is a great podcast just covering interview series with various luminaries from different sides of the industry, blogging, SEO, and the works. All right, here's some of tonight's topics. Like I said, we're going to talk a little bit about the UFC 148, Silva and Sonnen. Um, when Josh gets here, we're also going to talk a little bit about the retirement of Tito Ortiz and the crazy shit that went down with that. Uh, UFC on Fuel TV was yesterday. Uh, Mark Munoz, Chris Weidman from New York representing. Fantastic card. We're going to talk about an amazing TNA pay-per-view because it's a rarity in and of itself, so I'm actually going to go into it. But... One thing that I will say is that Impact this week was not as good as the pay-per-view. So keep that in mind. I know that John Blade published, well, he's going to be publishing a buried for TNA Impact, so be on the lookout for that after the show is over. We're going to talk about the lackluster, garbage Monday Night Raw from this week because it really was complete shit. Of course, this week's TNA Impact, we got your MMA news. We got some movie casting news. We got a lot of game news. And also, we're going to talk about some what-the-fuck movie news that popped up this week. So, until Josh gets here, I want to just get right into the MMA stuff. Because, at least if I get the news out of the way, most of it is going to tie into stuff he's going to want to talk about. But, the one thing that I want to make sure we discuss fully was the Silva Sonnen main event. So, let's get right into it.
So first up, off the his performance off UFC 148, Kung Lee is being rumored to be main eventing for the UFC's entry into China, which I think is a a great great ambassador to take over there. Kung Lee has a great fighting style. He's easily accessible with the fans, and for him to main event that would be fantastic. Dana White was kind of leaning towards that in the post UFC 148 press conference. And honestly, it's going to be taking place November 10th. I think if he has any smaller injuries and he's not under medical uh, medical suspension, I think that Kung Lee performing in China is a no-brainer at this point. So I'm super pumped for that if that goes down. Also, Rampage is going to fulfill his final fight in the UFC against Glover Teixeira. Uh, that's going to take place UFC 153 and uh, in Rio on October 13th. This will be Rampage's last fight in the UFC. I um I feel bad for a couple of reasons. I mean, Glover Teixeira is a great prospect, but for Quentin Rampage Jackson to, you know, not retire in the UFC or just not finish his career there, it's it's really disheartening. I mean, some people are saying he may be heading to TNA to do professional wrestling. Other people are saying that he's going to go and possibly fight in Bellator. Who knows at this point? I think it's just unfortunate that his career is just going to end under such terrible terms. Because, frankly, he's an asset to the sport, he's a marketable guy, and to see it go the way it went is just unfortunate. Also, for those of you that saw the UFC 148 weigh-ins, you know that Anderson Silva shoulder-checked Chael Sonnen and actually ended up making contact, hitting Chael in the face with his shoulder, which a lot of people were saying would lead to him either getting suspended or uh, being fined severely. Of course, the suspension was nowhere in the books, but the fine was almost almost levied. The Nevada State Athletic Commission was not happy. Uh, Keith Kaiser initially said that he didn't get to review the tape, but the fact is that he was, you know, it was something that they were not happy with. And and I could understand. I mean, you want a little bit of energy. You want a little bit of um, uh, not too much chaos, but just enough to get people pumped for the fight. Shoulder-checking Chael Sonnen definitely in poor form for Anderson Silva. He could have got a, a, a ridiculous fine. He could have even got a suspension based off of that, so he's got to be careful with that shit. Um, you know, he got a little angry. He got a little crazy, but he can't be doing that shit because the Nevada State Athletic Commission is not going to let that fly next time. Simple as that. Also, speaking of Chael Sonnen, of course, with his loss... To Anderson Silva, a lot of things are being discussed regarding his future. Some people were saying that he was going to be going to the WWE. Let me be the first to tell you that is not happening. If anything, he may do something with them, but he is not going to go and wrestle professionally. (coughs) Excuse me. He even mentioned that himself. He said, I'll go there as a fan, but I will always go back to my promoter, Dana White, at the end of the night. So definitely, you know, class act from Chael Sonnen. I was hoping to have Ben here because Ben has an incredible disdain for Chael and I wanted to get his thoughts on what was going on. But unfortunately, <coughs> damn, besides me choking to death, Ben couldn't join us. But nonetheless, I think that in, in Chael Sonnen's case, now he goes back to the end of the line. He's got to try and secure himself another title shot. I'm, I'm hoping, you know, he, he gets a couple of more fights under his belt. So I was actually saying that he should go up to 205, maybe try his hand there at, and see how he fares, but either way, you know, Sonnen's good for the sport, people, they have this rationale 
that everything Chael Sonnen does is 100% legit. And I gotta tell you, people are fucking stupid. Chael Sonnen is a glorified hype man. His job is to sell the fights. His job is to make you, the fan, interested in watching him either get punched in the face or punching somebody in the face. That's how it works. I think it's unfortunate that people can't, you know, gauge when he's being himself and when he's being the persona. And a lot of these guys on Twitter just getting trolled hard by Chael Sonnen like, you know, Chael Sonnen's a fucking dick and blah, blah, blah. And that's terribly unfortunate. He's playing a character. That's his job. The, the faster people realize that, the better off they'll be. Just something I wanted to throw out there. Another bit of news that came out today was the casting of coaches for the Ultimate Fighter 16. It's going to be Shane Carwin and Roy Nelson. It was revealed on USA Today uh, yesterday, and I honestly think while both guys are exciting to watch, you know, Shane Carwin's coming off an extremely long layoff. Roy Nelson is coming off some, not not some ass whoopings, but definitely not... um, four or five star performances. Roy Nelson's awesome. I think he'll make for a funny coach, but I just don't see the dynamic in these two guys being the coaches for this season. I really like the idea of Forrest Griffin, Stefan Bonner being coaches because a repeat fight with those two would be legendary on multiple levels. Um, Nick Diaz coaching would have been good. Just, just guys that are more not, not, not television savvy, but just are able to bring a new dynamic. I, I just feel Shane Carwin, he's a... Shane Carwin's a nice guy, um, tremendously talented, really humble dude, but I just don't think that they're going to be able to sell this season with these two guys as coaches. Not only that, they haven't said what the uh, weight divisions are going to be, so that's a story in itself. One thing I was talking about in the in the fan page, and Ben brought it to my attention, was doing it with the flyweights, because that division is very, very thin right now. I do agree the flyweights should be some of those guys that get the spotlight. There, there are some people that would like to see an Ultimate Fighter uh, women's edition, which would be cool. Me, personally, I'd like to either see it with flyweights or with maybe just an Ultimate Fighter for Strike Force and dedicated to building that Strike Force roster. Zufa owns Strike Force. They've raped and pillaged the entire Strike Force roster, and their roster is extremely thin. I understand they got the Showtime deal and they got a couple of good fights in there, but it severely weakened the organization. And if you're going to try and leverage that and gain more of an MMA audience via Showtime, you shouldn't have it be such a thin-ass roster. It's embarrassing. But, unfortunately, we're going to go with Carwin and Nelson, and then for the UK versus Australia... The coaches are going to be Ross, Ross Pearson and George Sotteropoulos. Um, that's going to be, I believe, uh, the Ultimate Fighter UK versus Australia, the Smashes, or the Smash Edition. Um, I do like the Ultimate Fighter concept going internationally. I think that those guys, they just have a different mentality, a killer instinct. Um, Tough Brazil definitely was one to cite as one of the seasons that had a killer instinct because those guys were just insane. Not only that, but the Ultimate Fighters here in the U.S., they know that they just got to go in, fight safe to get into the house, and not really do too much until the semi, the quarterfinals and the semifinals. And, of course, the, the final self-explanatory, which, to some degree, has kind of ruined 
the the aura of the Ultimate Fighter. It's gotten where where these guys they go, they play it really fucking safe, and then when they get into the house, they they goof off a little bit to become memorable, and then they fight, and that's it. And the problem with that is that people just can't connect with those fighters. The international the international edition in Brazil was fantastic. Those guys were savages. They were hungry. They were ready to kill each other to get out of Brazil to become household names. And that speaks volumes. It's ridiculous. I see that Quark is being a complete and utter jerk job in the fucking chat. So I'm issuing not even uh, a, a, a command or a warning. It's just we get it. Chill out in the fucking chat with the bullshit. Moving on, UFC 149 got put together. Of course, video packages have been put out. Uh, Uriah Faber, Henan Barrow is your main event. Hector Lombard's debut against Tim Bocek. Sean Jordan and Czech Congo. Brian Eversall, James Head, Chris Clements, and Matt Riddle are on your pay-per-view card. Then on FX, actually, they got some really good fights. Brian Carraway's on that card. Ryan Jimmo's taking on Anthony Paroche. Court McGee and, and Nick Ring are going to be the main event for FX. And then they finalized two fights for Facebook. Mitch Clark and Anton uh, Cuivanen and then Antonio Carvajo and Daniel Pineda. Um, those guys, they should all be exciting fights. I think that a lot of people that discounted yesterday's UFC card um, were pleasantly surprised. And I think that some of these guys, especially the Facebook prelims, have the opportunity to deliver fireworks. Um, on the FX side, same thing. I think that... The Court McGee-Nick Ring fight is going to be insane. I also think that Roland DeLorme and Francisco Rivera may deliver a surprising fight. And Brian Caraway, of course, uh, from The Ultimate Fighter, he's trying to make a name for himself. So I'm sure he's going to try and give everybody a solid performance. Lastly, I did want to discuss Bellator, which makes its return to television this Friday. Um, you're going to see the, de- the debut of Paul Daly. He's going to be taking on Rudy Bears. You also got that welterweight tournament final with Carl Amasu and Brian Baker, which is going to be insane. Um, Tim Carpenter, Travis Wilf, also on the prelims, Ben Saunders is going to be fighting. He's going to be taking on Brian Warren. You could probably check that out on Spike TV's website, if I'm correct. I got to make sure to confirm that. And if that's the case, I'll make sure to put it on the site as well. Also, I do got to acknowledge the uh, Chris Barnett, Tom Sawyer fight. Or a sour fight, which a lot of people are watching because these guys are um, extremely talented prospects. I think that Bellator has the potential, as usual, to deliver an exciting, exciting card. Um, Like I said, the Carl Amasu-Brian Baker fight is going to be a war. And um, Paul Daly's debut, I think he's going to go in there to make a statement. Rudy Bear's got to watch his ass, make sure he doesn't get knocked out. And um, Slick just informed me that Josh from MMA Valor is there. Uh, let me bring him on. Josh, what's going on, brother? Hey, man, how's it going? Not too bad. Welcome back. It feels like it's been forever since you've been on. It has been quite some time. Yeah, man. Of of course, you can catch Josh's MMA Pulse. It is now on Wednesdays. Yes, at 1 a.m. Eastern. Yeah, Yeah, uh, Wednesdays at uh, 10 my time, one your time. There you go. 10 a.m. Eastern. I mean, uh, 10 p.m. Pacific, 1 a.m. Eastern. And um, before I brought you on, I was talking about this Friday's Bellator event. And um, Paul Daly, man, what do you think? How do you think he's going to go in there ready to knock somebody's head off? 
Rudy Bears may be a dead man walking? Um, well, I mean, anytime he goes into the ring, that's that's. I mean, that's what he goes in there for is to knock his head off. It's like he's either going to get knocked out or he's going to knock somebody out. I felt that his strike force performance, though, he was fighting not safe, but he definitely was trying to, um, you know, more sprawl and brawl than his typical stand-up tactics. I think he was using that just because he was fighting T-Wood. But um, I, I, it kind of it it concerned me that he would resort to that, especially for being the fighter that we know him as. Right. No, I mean, I, I, I'm thinking the guy he's going against and being in a new promotion and wanting to get, you know, in their their next uh, their next tournament, he's going to want to put on a put on a show. How do you feel about um, Carl Amasu and Brian Baker? Amasu is a is a destroyer. That guy's a wrecking machine. Yeah, you, you know, the thing with him, though, is, is I mean, it, it, he's he's one of those fighters, there's, there's quite a few of them, that, it's like, if you weather that early storm, I mean, he, he gassed out pretty good in his last fight. I mean, he won it, I mean, but it was because of the dominating first round he had. And, I mean, uh, Baker's no joke, and if he can weather the storm and get into the later rounds, he's got a good chance. Yeah, I'm really, I, I think that, you know, Amasu tries to go in there not getting paid by the hour. You know, he comes in there trying to finish it quick. And like you right. were saying, guys are starting to scout that. And they're becoming more aware of his, of his just aggressive start. And a lot of guys are starting to also figure out how to counterpunch against him a lot better. And get past all that power. Mm-hmm. But I did want to go back because, you know, UFC 148. You were also at the Expo. We also got... Uh, Fuel TV, you are all over the place this weekend. Before we get into UFC 148, tell me about how the expo go. You know, what was the experience like? Um, well, I mean, for those who've never been there, I mean, it, it's it's basically you just walk into like MMA Palooza. I mean, there's every top clothing brand, uh, fighters everywhere, and you know, ring girls walking around handing you free drinks of uh, this energy drink and that energy drink. It's 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 just a it's a madhouse, but it's like great if you're an MMA fan. It's it, they they did a really good job this year from years past. It was, it was one fourteen was the last time they had it in uh, in Vegas, and it was much more organized. Um, I think a little bit had to do with there wasn't as many um, booths. Um, the 114 there there was it was like wall to wall booths wall to wall people it seemed to be a little bit more spread out which is is actually better just because you can get around and see all the little the little lesser known brands and and get introduced to them so I mean I had a good time um, I, I heard a couple people complain because they didn't think there was many as many fighters but everywhere I looked there was a fighter either walking around signing so I was I was cool with it. Were you there uh, on your own accord, or were you covering it for Valor and for the Pulse? Um, you know, I, I was going to originally go to the the Expo as Valor. Uh, I was credentialed to go, but they actually have some rules in place that just didn't make any sense to me, so I ended up just going, uh, paying for it myself. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the UFC and Zufa in general is very strict with their rules. Um, 
and and I mean it's understandable why they want to control what what is being put out there. And I just didn't want I wanted to be able to walk around and Freely. not feel restricted, you know? Right. I are, were they were they putting restrictions on you in terms of what kind of material you'd be able to put out or were they trying to give you um, what I've seen in some expos where they give like a set schedule, like, Hey man, you, you know, we want you to stop here. We want you to go here. We want you to put this out. No, you, you know, basically what they said was that every day there was four guided tours where you, where you would be walked around by someone from the UFC. And that was the only time that you could take pictures or video. Oh shit. And if they caught you taking pictures or video, that they could and would take away your credential for the the expo and further credentials could be in jeopardy. Wow. Uh, yeah, you know, and it was like, I, I, I mean, for me, I didn't want to feel like I was being told, hey, go to this booth, take pictures, go to this booth, take pictures. I just wanted to walk, you know? Right. Wow, that's, that's really, I, I don't know, I mean, not, I'm not trying to be an asshole and I'm sure you'll agree. It's, you know, if you're there as a member of the press, the whole point that to be there is to take photos and video. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's that's the right. whole point, especially if you're an outlet on the come up. It's your content that's going to get people to, you know, tune into the sport and go to these expos, especially if you have a loyal fan base. So I kind of feel that they, they handcuffed you with that. <clears throat> oh, I mean, I agree. I mean, I had already talked with certain companies like Round 5, where I was going to meet them, take pictures with them, do an interview with them. And it was like, if, if I went as Valor, I actually wouldn't be able to do that, which made no sense. Wow. That's a little, little fucked up. <laughs> little fucked yeah, up. Yeah, you my, know, it, my it, opinion. It, 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 it makes sense. I, I mean, I'm sure it makes sense to them, but it, it's, you know, for a site like me where, you know, I need to be able to take pictures so that I can have the content and be able to do things that way. It was kind of, I felt handcuffed, so I just figured I'd drop the $50 and go. There you go. And, and, and you had it, and you actually paying for paying yourself. You know, I saw a lot of the stuff you put on Instagram. Um, you did a, put a lot of stuff on Twitter. There was stuff all over the place. And you actually probably delivered three times more coverage than taking the, their, their dinky guided tour. Oh, I'm sure. Well, g- going from the shifting gears from the expo, of course, UFC 148. Um, I want to pluck out a couple of fights, and um, first one I, I want to run by you, Melvin Gillard. I expected him to try and go in there and have a more dominant showing. I was I was shocked that Camoz came in there, um, pretty pretty aggressive. He he handled himself good in round two, and even to to some extent, I thought he he kind of edged him out in round three. Yeah, you know, I I, did, I definitely didn't agree with the thirty twenty seven that it was in favor of Gillard. Uh, I thought that Gillard's game plan was to make sure he didn't get taken down, and I think that ended up making it, it look like he wasn't as aggressive. But I was I was very surprised that he didn't get taken down. I thought that Camones would be able to take him down uh, pretty easily, and it, it, it's clear that Gillard has, has worked a little bit on his, his takedown finally. Uh, but I didn't agree with the thirty twenty seven. I thought I thought it was actually closer. I was thinking it might even be a split decision. Well, how, where, where do you think where do you think Melvin Gillard now is in the in the in the lightweight field in terms of getting a a, a title opportunity? Do you think he's got probably two more fights before that happens? 
at least. I mean, he needs to show that he can handle a wrestler with submission skills before he he goes anywhere. I mean, every time he's put on a streak and got into the upper upper tier of the lightweight division, which has a lot of um, wrestlers like or you know good grapplers. Um, you know, he gets submitted quickly, like he did against uh, um, Joe Luzon. And, and, I mean, he, he he can't do that. I mean, if he gets stopped by those guys, he's never going to make it to the top. So, I mean, I think he's going to – the amount of fights that he has and experience in the UFC, you know, I mean, his next fight will probably be, a, a, you know, against the top ten guy. And if he can show that he can handle, the, you know, that guy, then – he, I could see him being two fights away. It's just the problem with that division is just so crowded. It's really with. stacked, man. There's way. But th- this was the thing I was talking about before you came on with, you know, the Ultimate Fighter doing like a Strike Force edition. I don't understand why they don't send guys down to Strike Force to give El Nino some competition, man. Like, it, bog- the, the it boggles only, my mind. I mean, the only logical explanation about that is the fact that they're just waiting out Showtime. I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense is they're waiting for the contract to end with Showtime and then they're going to fold it. They haven't signed one fighter. They haven't done anything. They're, I mean, they hardly are even promoting the events. I well, mean, they, they signed Marquardt, remember? Right. And that's that, only, was and that was it. <laughs> that was only because they didn't want Bellator to have him. There you go. You know, and they didn't want him to be in the UFC at the time. So other than that, they haven't signed anybody. And, and, and really, if you look back on it, it's the same. The same fighters are fighting every other fight. You know, I mean, next Gilbert will probably fight on the August card. Uh, Ronda Rousey's on the August card. Whoever's fighting on this July card will probably fight in December, or you know, in in uh, uh, October. I, I mean, they, there's just not enough fighters on there, and I I think the the Showtime contract ends at the beginning of the year. And I would assume that they'll probably just unify them belts. Yeah, they'll just bring them all in. Um, I got to tell you, I was really impressed, and he's growing on me. Mike Easton, uh, you know, bantamweight. His fight with Menjavar was was fun as hell, man. Mike Easton has grown on me quite a bit. His last performance, he was really good. Dude is always, you know, he's he's in that Clay Guida super energy mode when he goes into his fights. I really enjoyed it. Um, I was shocked though that Menjavar, Menjavar started hot in that first round, but, but Easton seemed to have turned it up in the later rounds. Yeah, I was a little surprised at, um, maybe the inactivity of, of Menjavar. And I think a lot of that probably had to do with him, uh, you know, Easton doing a, his impersonation of, uh, of Guida and, and moving around <laughs> so much. It just, it just wouldn't, I mean, Menjavar just couldn't find the range. And it was like by the time he he had you know would see Easton, Easton would already hit him and be out, and and so I mean he just really just had no answer for the quickness from Easton. Well, here's one fight I wanted to run by you because it reinforced how fickle MMA fans can be sometimes, and it's the Cody McKenzie Chad Mendes fight. You know, Cody McKenzie ate a monstrous body shot. And, yeah. um, you know, people are like, oh, you see, Cody McKenzie's a fucking bum. The guy has a 13-2 and two record. It's like, you know, what the fuck have you done lately? You know, it's not, it's not like Chad, Chad Mendes yeah. fought Jose Aldo not too long ago. It's like you're fighting a guy who, who was in title contention not too long ago. It's not like it's going to be a, walk, a walkover fight. 
Well, and, and this fight was kind of put together at the end, and it was very questionable to me when it was put together. I like Cody McKenzie. I think he's a very good fighter. But when this was announced, it was a clear mismatch. Yeah, you knew somebody somebody was getting hurt bad. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, M- Mendez had just fought for the title and, you know, got hit with a with a knee that, that, that dropped him. It, it, and, I mean, he, he went out there to make a statement, and, you know, they basically just seemed like they threw McKenzie in there as a sacrificial lamb. I mean, I, I, was, I mean it went 31 seconds, and that's about what I thought it was going to go. I mean, there, I didn't see McKenzie been a, being able to get a choke on on a team alpha male guy. I mean, they're, they, they work on chokes so much. I just don't see any of them ever getting caught in them. Um, but yeah, he, I mean, that was a brutal body shot. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the MMA fans, especially on Twitter, yeah, it, it's, they flipped it's on him. crazy. You know, they, Cody they, McKenzie, they, they love them on everybody. They flipped. The, they love Cody McKenzie months ago. Everybody's like, Oh, Cody oh, McKenzie's yeah. the man. Now it's like, Oh, he's a fucking bum. And I was, you know, it, it, it was disheartening because like, like, you know, like I said, he was fighting a dude. You, the guy fought for the title not too long ago. It's like you knew it was going to end badly for somebody. Either Cody McKenzie was going to upset Mendes with a choke to where people yeah. were going to say, oh, you know, he went from from challenging for the title, getting choked out by by a, by a journeyman, you know, which is unfortunate also. It's like you, they couldn't win either way. No. No, it was it was an odd matchup that really really got put in there because of him shuffling around due to injuries. Yeah, the injury bug was was vicious the, 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 for for these fights. Lastly, I did want to talk about another surprising one: Damian Maya and Stun Gun. Man, I thought Maya was going to come in, use the slick BJJ, and 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 handle his business, but he uh, he put Stun Gun out with uh, on you know standing. Yeah, this, this one was weird, only because we really didn't. I don't come out of this fight saying, wow, welterweight uh, division for Damian Maia is going to be awesome because no. we really didn't see much. I, I mean, he he he, put, he basically put a body, a bear hug on, on Kim and, and dropped him and, you know, screwed his ribs up somehow. You know, he had he had the arm right there. I don't know if he popped a rib. I think but, he may, he may or, have popped or if he a rib. he landed on his head. I think he may have popped a rib because his midsection, you know, he was kind of not standing completely upright when they were – you know, doing the read off, and I said maybe he might have, might have popped the rib, or he may have cracked one. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, Maya had him from from kind of not fullback, but almost the, the side of it had a, had his arms wrapped around him and had picked him up, and when he slammed him, he kind of landed on his shoulder, and it. I mean, he was grabbing his ribs, and so it's just really hard. I mean, I was surprised that he was able to manhandle Kim that way, but I still don't know. Like I was hoping that I would like come out of this fight saying, "Oh, you know, welterweight's going to be uh, no good for Maya," or like, "Wow, you know, this is a g- great division for him." And I really didn't learn much from it. Yeah, it was very. It, it, it wasn't a fight that gave you much to go on. But you, you know, it, it, here's one funny thing with that, and that's on, on the middleweight side. It, you know, um, Maya was was coming from middleweight, dropping a welterweight, and then Cote mm-hmm. returned back to middleweight in the Kung Lee fight. And he actually looked pretty good. I mean, I was glad Kong Lee won. I mean, I don't even say because he's a friend of the show, but because the guy needed it. He was he was yeah. in that weird he was in that weird place, you know, after after the Vanderlei fight. And his his performance against Cote was good. I mean, his fighting style is so unique that I think Cote just wasn't ready for that. But you no, know, Dame, he, Dame, he wasn't. 
Dana's like, oh, well, you know, we want you, we want Kung Lee to fight in China. And I'm like, dude, that's in November. It's like, this guy, we got to see if he's even medically cleared by then. Yeah, he, Dana had actually said last night at the press conference that, you know, he's hoping that, uh, that, that Kung Lee's foot can heal fast enough so he can fight on that card. Yeah, I mean, Kung, awesome on that card. <laughs> Kung Lee fighting in China would be huge, man. Not, I mean, that that would oh, probably definitely. be that would probably pack an arena. But looking at it, looking at it from that point of view, who would you who would you put Kung Lee against in China that wouldn't a make him look terrible and b not be a fight that the fans wouldn't be engaged in? Who do you think poses that threat at middleweight at this point for him? Man, that's a tough one. I mean. I mean, you couldn't headline him, so you you would have to have him somewhere, you know, in the middle of the main card. So you could probably put him in there against, you know, a, a ten to fifteen range guy, and still, I'd have to look at the division to to think that. I mean, I, I think it would be cool to put him up against another, you know, someone someone from Asia, just so that you've got. Yeah, I mean, you maybe another. Um, Maybe like a Ricky Fukuda or something. Yeah, I mean, you could do that. I think that the the problem with that is that they're probably going to want to have, and, and the UFC will never acknowledge it, but you know it's always got to be, you know, the Americans versus the I Canadians, know. the Americans versus the Brazilians, you know, the Americans right. versus the Chinese. Like, some people are like, oh, maybe we could do, we could finally get that Kung Lee-Rich Franklin fight. And I'm just like, I, eh. I, it, that, I mean, that's a bad matchup for Lee, in my opinion, yeah, but do you think at this point Franklin has, has you know, it, not to say that he has that title run in him because he swears he does, but at this point, would it be so terrible? You know what I mean? I, I mean, I, I don't, I, I mean, I don't, Franklin would take it just because he's a company man, but I don't see why he would want to take that. If he's wanting to make one more run, it's a step backwards to fight Kung Lee. I mean, Kung Lee lost to 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 Vandalay Silva, who he just beat. Franklin did so. Why? I mean, that, that would be a step back. What about uh? I, I I mean, this would this is a little this is a little presumptuous, but Kung Lee and Brian Stan. Yeah, that would be fun. Or maybe you put him up against a, a Luis Kane. Oh yeah, Luis Kane you know, would be good who, too. Who, I mean, he he's a, a Muay Thai guy, so at least you know you get some action there. Yeah, I, I you know I'm 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 pumped to see him fight. Like I said, I mean not because he's a friend of the show, but he his his fighting style is fun to watch when when a guy wants to stand and trade. Like Cote made that fight good, and he didn't look terrible either. No, he he didn't. He he looked a little out of shape. Um, a little bit, and, and I think that played a lot lot into it going into the third round. Now, of course, uh, on the main car, you know, the main event and co-main event, this Tito Ortiz fight. Besides it being mm-hmm. com- a complete weird fight from start to finish, Tito coming out in a gladiator mask, Forrest leaving the cage, Forrest interviewing Tito, Tito, in my <laughs> opinion, getting fucking robbed. It, what'd you think? Because honestly, I think Tito got robbed, dude, in that fight. How do you put a guy on his he- ass twice and lose? See, I mean, I, I, had, I had the first round, the first round of a Forrest, no, I don't remember. I, I had it I had it two rounds to Forrest, one to, to Tito, but I also thought it was going to be a split decision again. Um but he, he I mean Tito should have finished Forrest uh, in the in the first in the third round. In the first too. I mean both those times he got knocked down. 
the the third fourth said the third was, was the one that actually rocked him where he was he was out of it for a second he said the one in the first was was more just the off you know caught him off guard and he stumbled backwards but yeah well he's never going to own up I either think <laughs> that, uh, I, I don't think that they should have done all the festivities the day of the fight i thought that was odd to begin with yeah uh, very emotional for for tito i mean he what uh he, he probably fought at like nine o'clock so what nine hours before his fight he had done his induction speech and got emotional yeah i and think it may have messed him up over to his uh he went over to the punishment booth after that and was signing till like 145 yeah see i, I think i think that I I I have to agree with you the the emotion of that probably kind of chipped away at his killer instinct for this fight. Um Forrest was a complete weirdo. I don't know what the, what the hell he was was going through his head. You know, you're walking out of the octagon before. I mean, did he th- if he walked out of the octagon it was maybe because he thought he lost, then clearly Tito should have won that fight, you know? Yeah, you, you know, I mean, I had I had thought that, that, that he had thought he had lost. And then, um, someone had brought up that maybe he just wanted to give the, the octagon to, to Tito. And then when they forced him back in, then it got all weird. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Forrest, I mean, he's, he's gone through a, a change. He knows the sports passed him by, you know, with the athletes in the light heavyweight division. And he knows he's not going to compete for a title. He doesn't even want to fight John Jones. He's made that, you know, clear before. You know, it's, it's kind of like I mean, Bonner wants that match with him. To, Bonner wants that match with him. Bonner wants that match with him bad. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not sure if he wants it. You know, it, it's or even if the if the UFC totally wants that. I mean, we're not going to get that same war, dude. It's impossible. No, it's and impossible. That, and that's kind of like why I don't think the UFC will make it because they did the, the they did the second fight and it, it was still it was a good fight, but it was nowhere near the first one, and you just can't you know, relive that. You can't re- redo the past like that. Well, to, to wrap this up, of course, Anderson Silva, Chael Sonnen, you went fucking ape on Twitter with the illegal knee, and then you kind of went back afterwards because you I saw it, and you backtracked a little bit. Another, again, another weird fight. We know how it's going to, how it went down. The, the The big question I got, and I wanted to hear what you thought was, what the hell happens with Chael now? Um, well, he stops doing spinning back fists, that's for sure. Hell yeah. Don't do that crazy shit. Definitely um, not. You know, I mean, he, he'll probably take some time off um, and, you know, come back. I mean, he's not going to retire. He, you know, he likes to fight. But he, he's going to have to start at the bottom and hope that somebody beats Anderson Silva because I don't see him getting the third fight, even though and he's the only person to be able to take down Silva and and probably would have got him down in the second round if if Silva wouldn't have put his hand uh, down his shorts and held on to him. Well, here's here's a, here's a a scenario too. Um, you know, everybody's looking at Hector Lombard to challenge Silva. Do you think that Hector Lombard, if he gets past Tim Bocek, would be a good fight for Chael before challenging for the belt? I I think that uh, Chael will mat, would match up pretty decent with him because of, I mean, Chael will take anybody down if he can get his arms around him, and. I mean, if he could take down Hector Lombard, he'll he'll win. It's a scary matchup for the UFC because, I mean, the, the UFC is kind of like, they don't really know what they're doing in the, with the middleweight division anymore. Uh, I mean, with with Silva now defeating 
Chael Sonnen, I mean, you, that was the number two guy. The number three guy lost last night in Mark Munoz. Now you really need to let the cards kind of play out and see what happens with with um, Lombard and Bosch. And then if Bisbean comes back, who does he fight? You got Alan Belcher. You know, so I'm not sure if you would put if you would put if Lombard goes in there and destroys uh, Tim Bosch, I would probably think you'd put like maybe Tim Bosch and Chael Sonnen against each other. That might work too. It's just it's just crazy for Chael right now because you know the guy the guy busted his ass and this was the thing that people don't get. It's like it's like dude, it's all an act from right. start to finish. And the problem was, I think Anderson Silva after the fight was done, he realized he's like this guy was 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 fucking around. You know, like, like, why yeah. did I have, why did I even let it mess with my head? Like, that's the thing that killed me. Like, not for nothing, a, um, you know, a, uh, the thing with a, a guy like Chael Sonnen is, like, and I said this at the opening of the segment, it's like, the guy's a showman, that's his job. He wants you to spend the money to watch him either get beat or, or win. And, and people just don't get it. I don't understand how hard it is to, to, to see that. No, and, and. I mean, both of them, at the end of the day, both of them had talked, you know, their own way of talking trash. And at the end of the day, neither one backed it up. Nope. But, you know, I mean, Twitter blew up with all the Chael haters and going off on them. And, and it's like no one, no, I mean, a few people did, but dude lost after talking all that trash, took it like a man. Shook Anderson Silva's hand, I, I, you know, and, and that gets all lost from all the haters that are just like, see, this guy's an asshole, and he got beat, and blah, 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 and it's just, I mean, I literally turned Twitter off after the fight, just because it was like, I don't need to hear it, it's just people, all Anderson Silva, you know, lovers wanting to bash Chael Sonnen, and then they, it, was, it was stupid. No, it was, it was um, you know, it was uh, one of those things where, I personally felt that, um, you know, it, it, you had to watch the fight play out the way it was going to play out and just leave it at that. Like, Anderson mm-hmm. Silva validated why he is, you know, at the top of his division. But the only thing that's been bugging me is the fact that it's like, dude, you have really nobody left. I mean, yeah, you could fight Lombard. You could fight Bisping. You know, Weidman made a huge statement um, yesterday, yeah. which I wanted to go into. But uh, I, I just think... Anderson, dude, go up to either go up to two hundred five or come down to one seventy. Yeah, see, and that's the problem with him is I don't think he wants to do either. I really think he just wants to stay at, at middleweight and yeah, but dude, but that shit's gonna get everybody. boring. Oh, I know, but I mean, he's, <laughs> he's already come out and said he does not want to fight John Jones, and and I mean, he literally like. That night, he had already said he didn't want to fight John Jones. Yeah, but but so you know what it is. I, I'm I mean, tired of that shit too. I don't want to fight this guy. It's like, why are you here then? Oh, I know. I'm tired of that shit. Every fucking. I don't want to fight John Jones. I don't want to fight Anderson Silva because we're friends. Fuck that. You fought Rashad, didn't you? <laughs> you know, uh-huh. like like come on, man, with that holier than thou shit. But um, you know, we could beat this up forever. I did want to just. Uh, touch a little bit on UFC on fuel. Obviously, you were you were you were there for some of that stuff, and I just wanted to. Um, Andrew Craig not getting fight of the night was heartbreaking. Yeah, you know, I mean, he, <laughs> he, I was I mean, done, dude. I was he, like, come he, on. The only reason why he didn't get it is because of the crazy main event, you know, 
elbow to you know from Weidman and and you know or at Dana least Weidman fight of the night. He got robbed. Or at least fight of the night, dude. Because I mean, don't get me wrong. Tahuna and Beltran was a war, but dude, Craig was. How many times were you like, oh, it's a wrap, and he just came back and and murder death killed that guy. He ate it. I was like, oh my yeah, god. And he was he was losing the fight. He had lost the first round on all the the judges' cards, and obviously he was getting beat up in the second round. And you know, with eight seconds left, he you know threw a head kick, uh, and and Natal just went. You know, out cold. I was I was shocked that Damasio Page let himself get caught by by Bruce Leroy. Not to say that Bruce Leroy is is is, is you know underrated by any means. I just felt that you know when he was doing that ground and pound the first time and he almost got bagged. It's like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> and you know, it's like yeah. I'm not I'm I shouldn't be one to you know I'm not one to go and and say oh this is the way you should fight. But just being in that position already and almost getting bagged, it's like. I can't be there. I can't end up in there again because this guy's waiting for it. Yeah, I mean, he did it twice in the first round and and didn't get the finish, and and you know tries it the third time and and finally gets it. I, I mean, he he obviously saw something that Page was doing, and and Page wasn't going to correct it. And you know, I, I mean, what do you what do you how many times do you have to get caught in it before you realize? Yeah, you know, I'm probably should do something differently. No, I agree. I mean, I, I was I was very shocked the way it went, and and of course, you know, the main event. Holy shit, <laughs> that elbow was insane. I'm like, I'm like, see, everybody that complains about elbows in MMA, here's here's an here's a TKO with an elbow to the face. Yeah, you know, and and I mean, before that, I mean, just the opening round. You know, Weidman took down Munoz, who's you know supposed to be one of the better wrestlers in the division. Took him down with ease, and and just controlled him from the top. Had him in very tricky situations, and Munoz was able to get out. And then in the second round, he took him down again. And then that elbow. I mean, from you know sitting cage side, the, my first thought was that Munoz had ran into the elbow, and I had to wait until they showed the replay. I mean, the replay. I mean. Weidman saw it and you know, threw the elbow. I mean, it was perfect. He saw that you know that Munoz was coming in, and coming in off to the side, and just planted the elbow perfectly. I, I will tell you this: that Weidman spear at the opening around two when he went in for the when he was trying to go for the Darce choke. I said to myself, Mark Munoz, you're an awesome wrestler, but you just got caught. <laughs> oh yeah, I was. I yeah, was not. I, mean, I was not ready for that. No, I wasn't either. I mean, I thought that it, it that maybe the wrestling would 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 you know counteract and that it would be a stand up fight. And if it was a stand up fight, that Munoz would have you know the the edge there and maybe be able to outpoint it. And then in the later rounds, you know, skid something. But I was not prepared for you know right away. Uh, Weidman getting a, a takedown and controlling the fight, and it was over right then and there. Well, um. Does Weidman have a case to to challenge for the belt now? You think he's eight and zero? He's perfect. You can't you know? Probably, can it I happen? Mean, I mean, probably not. Um, knowing knowing Anderson Silva, he'll probably won't fight again until December. <laughs> I mean, he he he'd probably take some time off. I mean, if Anderson Silva wants a quick return, then you know it, it it's a possibility just because of the way that things are playing out. I mean, you got. Stan and Bisbing are both coming back from injuries. 
Lombard is, is, is fighting next month. So, you know, I mean, timing-wise, he might have a better chance. I really think that you need to let, like, Bisbing fight Stan or bat, fight Belcher. Um, I mean, I was talking with, um, with, with, with one of the media guys last night, and he had brought up the, the point of, of giving Bisbing the, the fight right when he comes back from injury and putting it in England and it would, you know, the place would sell out and it would be crazy, you know? And I, mean, I was like, well, you know, I mean, I don't necessarily think he deserves the title shot, but it wouldn't be the first time that someone got a title shot that didn't really deserve it. Fuck it. Well, before we close I mean, things out, uh, Jackson Glover to UFC 153. Are you as bummed as I am that this is going to be Rampage's last fight, or are you at the point where, you know, the complaining and, and all the politicking has gotten to the point where it's like you could care less? Because, dude, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm a I Rampage mark. You know, I, I'll, wa- I'll watch him fight in, in, in a fucking park, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, I mean, I, I enjoy watching him fight. I enjoy watching him, you know, be the character that he is at times. But you know, he's pulling kind of like a Tito Ortiz, you know, when he was like a couple years, a couple years back when Tito was complaining about everything and that the company didn't do this, the company doesn't like him and throwing him under the bus and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, I mean, the, the, the company let you get in trouble with the law and brought you back and let you go do uh, movies. And, you know, I just, I get tired of people that just bitch about stupid shit. No, I agree a hundred percent, especially when, when they're getting, you know, they're getting all you know all this money to do what they want to do, and there's so many people in the world that are doing jobs that they hate. Right. And you, you know, but you could tell, you can kind of tell what the UFC is doing. I mean, they pretty much threw them in there to. to oh, they threw them in there to, to, to give, get killed. Uh, <laughs> they're going to give to share a boost. I mean, that nobody wants to fight that dude. There's a reason why no one wants to fight that guy. Yep, and Rampage like sure, I'll fight him. Rampage though. You know what would happen? Rampage, he could play the... Imagine if he just played the role of spoiler, killed this guy. Uh-huh. And then, you know, Dana's like, oh, do you want to stay? You know, let's talk about the contract. And Rampage's like, nope, I'm done. And he just leaves after killing <laughs> after killing their prospect. Because you know he would pull that. Just kill their oh, prospect yeah. and then leave. Oh, yeah. Because they're watching sure. Glover, Glover closely. You know how it goes. Watch him closely, groom him as another guy, and then... It's like if Rampage plays the role of spoiler, that's a wrap. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and Rampage is the perfect opponent for him in that, you know, they believe that Rampage is on a decline, but he's still about the name value. So if you go in there and you, you know, he, if he goes in there and wrecks Rampage, it, it, it you know, makes the stock skyrocket, and that's, that's what they want. You know, but if, if, if he loses, it, it'll, it'll be a good story and get him, you know, do yeah, it that way too, so. Either way it works. Well, my friend, yeah. we've, we... We have covered everything. Last but not least, of course, where can people find you? Get all your plugs out of the way. <laughs> well, I mean, the website's uh, MMAValor.com. Make sure you guys, uh, you know, check that out. We, we got, you know, interviews, results, pretty much anything you want on MMA, it's going to be on there. Fight night uh, chats. We, I, yes, still doing them? Yeah, you know, I, I do them every once in a while. It, it's really hard to do them, uh, you know, with with... I think if there wasn't Twitter and things like that, I think the chats would be better. I think those are going kind of by the wayside just because everyone just goes on to Twitter and, you know, has their 2,000 followers or whatever and, gotcha. and, and and goes about that way. So I haven't been doing them as much, but I've also been at the fights the last couple ones, which has made it really, I mean, 
there's only so much bandwidth in those little in those arenas to to try to do uh, live results and tweet and be in a chat room at the same time. Gotcha. Um, but you know, we, we, do, we like we said, we got the radio show. It's on Wednesdays. It's just a half hour show. It's more kind of like I don't really do interviews. If we have fighters on there or guests on there, they're actually going to be considered co-host, and we kind of roundtable style with with the hot topics of the day. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. The the website's Twitter address is MMA Valor. You can follow me personally on there at uh, Josh Wood MMA. And that's pretty much it, man. All right, man. I appreciate it. I'll make sure to add all those links to the show notes as well. Um, as always, dude, I, I appreciate you, you know, being one of our content partners and just being a, a, a cool dude to come in here and shoot MMA with us on the fly. Shit, man. Any any time, man. You just hit me up and I'll be on. You got it, brother. All right, man. Take care of yourself. All right, man. Later. See ya. All right, guys. That was Josh Wood from MMA Valor. He's one of our content partners. Make sure, like I said, you can follow him at MMA Valor. Also, they have a page on Facebook. So look for MMA Valor on Facebook. Become a fan there. And last but not least, you can also talk with Josh through his personal account at Joshwood MMA. All those links will be in the show notes. We're going to switch gears a little bit, and we are going to bring in Kevin from VGN, and we're going to talk some video games. Um, let's get right into it. Let's just uh, hit this little gaming drop and get the party started. <laughs> If you're tuning in and you're waiting to hear the wrestling segment, we are switching gears. Uh, Kevin Baird from VGN Radio is joining us. We're going to talk about the uh, the Ouya console. We're going to talk some games. So let's just bring him right in. Kevin, what's going on, brother? Welcome back. What's going on? Nice to be back. Yeah, dude, you've been missed. <laughs> I don't know about that, man. Oh, you'd be I'm surprised. Since, uh, since New York, so you know, it's been a long time. Yeah, you'd be surprised. Um <laughs> of, course, of course, since the last time you've been on, you've been doing a ton of different stuff lately. So before we get into talking about all all, all of our subjects for this evening, just uh, let people know what, what shows you got out now. Of course, you got the Oblast, VGN, but I know you got some new stuff. So share that with our listeners first. Well, I mean, the primary video game stuff is sort of focused on Spill.com at, at this point. You know, we're doing two to three shows uh well the for video gaming it's actually all week but we do about i do about two to three shows a week for them you know a show will be like a game review uh an email bag or we'll do some playthrough video type of thing that goes on and uh, we're working on doing a call-in show as well on the weekends it's just been difficult to try and get all that organized but uh that's that's taking up a lot of time, man. That's been, I spend most of my evenings doing that. On Tuesdays now, I do a show with Don Anderson uh, from, you know, VGN. Uh, we just kind of shoot the sh- shoot the shit for an hour, and uh, you know that's um, that's been a pretty good that's been a pretty good show. We've done two of those so far. I actually had a migraine yesterday, uh, so I didn't actually record with him yesterday. Just you know, I don't. Use, it's not like a headache migraine. I get those crazy like yeah, the ones where you in my eyes. Yeah, I get those. Things, you know. you got to sit in darkness for like two days. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what the hell's going on with me. So I just like, you know, I didn't end up doing it. But 
uh, yeah, that's a new show. And then we, we, we still continue to do the, the, the other shows. VGN itself, the Video Game News Radio, we haven't actually done one in quite a while. And uh, it's really been a problem. Brian got a new truck driving schedule. Anderson got a, driving his kid everywhere. And it would just leave Larry and I to do the show. And Larry basically only plays uh, Lord of the Rings online. <laughs> so it wouldn't necessarily be. And Jedi works, you know. And he's unavailable on Sundays now. He's joined some new church missionary group type of thing. I did a couple of interviews. I did one with Larry on Oblast and one with Jedi on Oblast as well. So, um, and he, Jedi talks all about that. So it, basically, it's, my crew is just sort of, you know, left, and there's not really a way to sort of do that. So I, I, I've been thinking about, you know, redirecting that show into something that's maybe more topical about news in general, since we don't really cover news on any of the spill shows. But uh, I'm, I'm not there yet. It, you know, it's summer. It's a little bit hard to sit down behind the microphone every day of the week. Oh, yeah. But when winter comes, you know, that'll be, that'll be the time I do it. Well, now you've, you've expanded so much into spill that, you know, it's, it's almost like your, your primary focus. Usually when I see a lot of the stuff coming, you know, from, from, you, you know, your social media presence, it's mostly spill stuff. Is that something just because it's become a lot easier um, to work with the, to work with the brand and put out an on-air product more frequently? Or is that just something that you said, hey, listen, I can do a couple of shows and we could do a couple of different things. And they said, you know, fuck it, run away with the ball if you want. Yeah, I mean it's 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 extremely difficult to work with with the people over at Spill, but it's not it, it they're very disorganized. But it is the best opportunity to elevate the stuff that we're doing to reach a larger audience. I mean, they have financial backing. They have a lot of listeners. I mean, it's a really big audience and, you know, they actually, you know, put on conventions and they had a booth at uh, comic-con that's going on you know right now san diego so they um you know there, there's money behind that outfit and there's just an opportunity there to try and lift it up and that's rare when you're doing these podcasts i mean you know it, it's difficult to find anybody willing to put money into any of these ventures and i'm not convinced that what we're doing is really going to work long term there has to be more uh from the front office sort of sitting there and saying, this is the direction we want to go in right now. It's mostly them looking at Corey and going, Hey man, whatever you want to do, it's cool. Whatever you want, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which most people, which most people would be like, well, that's awesome. You know, I, I'm just going to go out and buy a Ferrari and get chicks and stuff. But you know, Corey is a, he's actually a very, he's actually very smart and he is concerned about that attitude that comes out of them. You know, he, he doesn't want to like, make it into something where then they'll look at the, the numbers and go, Oh, this is costing too much. Just let's close it down. Right. And, he you know, wants, he wants a like more. Totally, go ahead. Right. He just wants to make it more responsible and he wants the audience to grow. And so he's being very tight fisted with what, you know, gets expensed and what doesn't. And, you know, something, so we didn't go to E3 this year because he felt that, um, we were going to get, you know, the value in the terms of, you know, the audience numbers for it. And so he sort of put the kibosh on that, which upset Jeff, you know, because he was intending to go, but it just didn't happen. And, and that's just the sort of thing that's going on right now. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. They're happy. You know, the owners are happy with everything that's going on with the, with the thing, but uh, I don't think Corey is, he, he continually wants it to improve. So, it's just one of those things that, you know, I'm just, I make myself available for it. We, we've discussed some of the technology things, you know, because I am a 
software developer, they have some technology challenges that we're trying to work through. There's phone calls, there's conversations, there's people behind the scenes, there's all sorts of, you know, things I'm asked to, like, send over in, in regards to that. And that's cool. I mean, that's that's what it takes to grow this thing. So, yeah, I guess, you know, a lot of my time is in there rather than VGM, but it's not like I don't want to put time into VGM. It's just very difficult because, you know, there's no money in that. If I were to go to Brian and Larry and Don and say, hey, guys, I'll pay you guys $100 a show, you know, they'd show up every Sunday. Right. You know, we'd have we'd have a full crew at that point, but I, I can't do that. There's just no money to do it. So you know, everybody has their jobs and everything, and they got to go do those. So it, it's it's a struggle. You know, the the one man the one man show like you're doing it it's really kind of a great thing that you got going on because you don't have that sort of that stress of hoping the rest of your co-hosts bring something to the show every week. Uh, and that's a problem with now with VGM because we just can't we can't get that. So that's why we're tra- trying to do the Don and Kevin show. We might I, I might get something going with Larry at some point. It's just a question of um, how that will all you know when's their, when's their time. That's all. It is. Well, it, you know, referencing E3 and and Spill's uh, decision to not go, um, you know, venturing into that topic, I've noticed that E3, while it's great to go and have a presence there. From a, from a marketing standpoint to grow your respective brands, breaking news at E3 is like recording a fight on YouTube. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like everybody gathers around, all the shit is going on, and it's not like it's something exclusive. Because, you know, a yeah. fight breaks out, a fight breaks out, everybody whips out their phones, they all upload it to YouTube. You're not breaking something because 20 people are putting up the same video. The same thing kind of it falls into place when, when you're looking at, the, at an event like E3. E3's awesome, you know? I'd, I'd go just for shits and giggles and be a complete asshole like we were at Comic-Con. But the fact <laughs> the fact remains that, you know, you go there and you're like, yeah, you know, I'm playing all these games and I got to see them and it's great. But you're not breaking news. You're just regurgitating right. what everybody else is putting out there. Right. It, it, the, as a news source, it sucks. Uh, what it really is for is building relationships between yourself and PR, right? right. You know, and, and people that are outside the industry, they're not really going to understand that. But, you know, it's one of those things where you have to put a name to a face. You have to look professional. You have to be able to show up and shake hands and say, hey, you know what, we're we're a legit outfit. We're here. This is what we do. This is my card. You know, this is what you do. We're going to be able to provide coverage for you. I mean, it, it's really the difference because – Outside of that, you know what I mean? Everybody's got a website. Every 14-year-old kid's got a website. Kids in college dorms put websites together, and they're out there, and they're saying, oh, yeah, I'm a video game website. And they got some talent. You know, they got they can write an article. They can put up some graphics and everything. But do they have the thousands of dollars it takes to go and uh, to one of these shows and shake hands and, you know, uh, handle all the business and the follow-up and all that, that goes into it? No, probably not. I mean, not unless they've really got, you know, daddy's money or something. I don't know. It's it's just one of those things you have to be able to if you're going to be in business you got to be in business and you got to have those business relationships and that's that's really what E3 was always for to begin with you know it right. was a convention for business and it just became a spectacle and I mean that's fine I mean there's stuff that comes out of it but I, I, I personally I have no interest in really going I I just watch it on uh, G4 you know it's kind of enough for me I mean they're all tools on G4 but you get to see everything that you would get to see at the show and you don't have to stand in line you don't got to just you know, um, deal with all the noise and pay eight bucks for a burger or something at the concession. It's 
it's just better just to watch it because, like you said, nothing's exclusive. It's not like I'm going to go behind some secret door somewhere and find some, holy crap, Square's got a whole other room in here that nobody's seen. You know, it's uh, everybody has everything. And when they're streaming it live like that on TV, what can you possibly do as a website that's going to be uh, different or exclusive? I, I mean, I used to think that you could go into, like, the – the Kentia Hall, the, the the smaller halls, and work with some of the more independent companies that are dying to get some sort of uh, attention and, uh, you know, bring their stuff to light. But gamers aren't really interested in that either. I mean, you know, you have two audiences there. The fact that everybody's already seen it and the fact that nobody's actually interested in anything except what they've already seen, which is, you know, your Halo, your Call of Duties, you know, the, the most popular games. When you start talking about the more the limited titles, you just your audience just dwindles at that point. They're just not, you know, they tune out because I don't know, man, it's, unless it's like, you know, splashed across the screen in front of them, they, they just don't care. No, I think, you know what the funny thing is, um, a couple of guys that I know are doing, you know, San Diego right now. And these are uh, the, the guys that I know they're, they're there primarily for comics. So, you know, we were messaging back and forth and I go, so, so how's the first day? And they go, listen, we shouldn't call this shit Comic-Con anymore. <laughs> That's all he said. <laughs> he goes, He goes with all the games and all the movies and shit here, he's like, yeah, there's there's movies that tie in with comics, and that's good. And t-. He goes, you know, what does this TV show have to do with it? What does this other... T-? So, you know, it, it, it's getting into that point where the, the audience is becoming more... You know, even in my instance, I went to Blog World in June, and the title says it, Blog World. So at the end of the, at the midpoint of the, of the expo, I think maybe the second or third day, they had like a huge keynote where they were going to rebrand it as the new media expo because, you know, you got podcasting, you got vidcasting, you got blogging, you know, it doesn't fall under the same umbrella. It's almost the same thing that's happening with Comic-Con and even with E3, like E3's become, you know, it should just be called Game Fest at this point because you go there, you see some trailers (laughs) and you have some parties and that's it. It's not really, yeah, it, really it, industry it really, focused. It, it could all be just done online. Yep. I mean, what do you need? You know, what do you need to have people at the show for? Because really, when you're at the show, the it's it's terrible because you're looking at screens and there's lights flashing everywhere, so you can't see the graphics as well as you could if you were like at home, like watching it on your own television and or you know on your iPad or whatever it is, and you can't hear anything because it's so freaking loud everywhere you go. So yeah, I mean it's. I don't, you know, it is just a mass media event. It's for all of the people that aren't into gaming, you know, like um, like media and things like that. It's like it's for like television stations to come in and say, "Look, E three is going on. Let's let's see what Electronic Arts has over here and talk about Madden football again." While the rest of the hardcore gamers are rolling their eyes, going, "Oh Lord," you know, it's just um, it, it is what it is. I mean, it, I, I think. You know, there's a lot of other conventions that go on now. I mean, thank God for it because, you know, you've got now Penny Arcade Expos and uh, game developers conferences, and um, it's actually, you know, really expanded the number of uh, shows you can go to. E3 is still the biggest and probably will remain that way, but it's uh, gaming has grown so much that there's a lot of other options now. Well, you know, one of the things that obviously is eliminating the necessity for E3, and it's one of the one of the like focal points I wanted to talk with you about, is everybody's crowdsourcing their games now. You know, Tim Schafer did one not too long ago, crowdsourced it, got a ton of of feedback 
finance the game. Everything is running on all cylinders. And of course, you know, the big Ouya console, which everybody's going crazy. You know, these guys wanted to raise $950,000. Now it's like, you know, $4 million. Is this something that's going to change the way games are published? And not only that, but where does this console fit in in the grand scheme of things? Because when I posted an article on the site about it, people were like, oh, this is bullshit. You know, why can't I just play the games on my phone? Why can I? Why, why would I want to go and buy a $100 console when I can play the same games on my phone? Oh, there's no first-party developers. And, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of valid arguments. But the, the reason I want to run it by you is because you're, you're much like me in that, that, air, that gray area where we're still, we still enjoy playing games because it's not our job. But we also like to make sure we also like to not be taken advantage of by the developers. So, you know, with that said, how do you feel about just crowdsourcing now and, and where it's going with this particular console? Well, I, I you know, this is going to be an interesting thing. There's there, there's definitely some people behind this console that have, you know, veteran experience and they've got um, some backing behind it. I mean, I've already paid for mine, I guess you could say, you know, I threw threw down the 100 bucks, but I collect game consoles. Right. So even if this thing is going to be a total failure, I'd, I'd still be in just to have it in my collection. Um, I don't necessarily think it's going to work because... You know, if you're a game developer and you're developing for the Android platform, you're you're not going to develop for the the system that has a million users. You're going to develop it for the system that has a hundred million, which is the phone and the and whatever Android tablet you know that's out there. And you know, technically, what they're talking about is really what Google TV is. Google TV runs Android. Yep, it has I have all one. these media options. Yeah, it's it's open. And now the, the new Vizio. Um, the play, the Visio play, the yeah, the Visio play it, unit. Yeah, it, that new one's coming out, and that's ninety nine bucks. Right. So you know, right there, you've got a system that's due out any day now that already is Android, lets you play you know the games that are TV ready, and uh, you know is running on a competent system. So really, what what these the Ouya's got is this controller. It really comes down to the controller, and I don't discount the fact that a lot of these games would be great to have a real game controller when you play them because they're constantly emulating game controllers on these touchscreens, and, you know, people can say what they want. It, it's not really that good. It, it's not. You know, you could play a game, but you'd probably like the game more if you had a real controller and your thumb wouldn't take up, like, 25% of the screen when you're playing it. So if they can sell, like, the, the controller to game developers and just say, you know what, if you support this thing for your you know, your first-person shooter or your game that, you know, you're playing, great. Because then, you know, a lot of other, you know, people can build controllers or whatever it is and sell the controller and get the controller. And then you got a controller for your iPad or your Google TV or or if you have an Ouya, that's great. I mean, it's cool, you know, that it's open and everything, but I, I just think that we've got a lot of open systems right now. And, you know, Korea makes them all the time, portable handhelds, things like that. And, uh, you know, what is it like the PlayStation three could run Linux, you know, PlayStation two could run. Linux. I don't know. No, nobody ever really, you know, gets enough market share for these things to make it viable. And I don't think this is going to do it either. I, I think, you know, it's not that it's going to die. It's going to be able to play Android games. So if you get one, you're still going to be able to play Android games on it and all that sort of stuff. And it's going to be open. So 
it'll have a movie player on it. You know, somebody will hack Netflix to run on it and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, that's cool. It, it's just that as far as, like, being a competitor for, like, Xbox or PlayStation 3 or something, I mean, forget about it. It's, it's running on a Tegra 3. It's like PlayStation 1 power. Well, you it's, know, it's not really going really to do it. Well, you know the other thing, too? We have the OnLive console, which is floating around. I actually got one at the Gadget Expo, and that's being added into the, the Vizio, you know, the Vizio model that they're dropping for 100 bucks. So now you're getting an Android-powered thing that has OnLive, and you could probably still play all those Android games. So that's opening up a whole other level of competition. The thing that boggles my mind, and it's something that, you know, you... you you cited immediately is that yeah you know you got the controller you got all this stuff but four million dollars is insane any way you slice it because think about it for for a company to raise funding to develop let's say you know a new tomb raider game they have to go to the publisher sell them on it and then you know activision has to say all right let's do it and invest the money and build a creative team this eliminated that completely, and it's been more successful. Where where does crowdsourcing now, in your opinion, fall into just getting games made? You know, like imagine if a guy goes, hey, I'm going to put out Road Rash on consoles, and we're going to eliminate the middleman crowdsourced, and it makes the money and well, it gets funded. What happens to the, you know, to the EAs, the Activisions? Where, where do you see their role in an instance like that? Because for me personally, I, I, I think I, that... No, I was going to say is for me personally, regardless of whether the system's successful, whether it's a fucking paperweight or whatever, you raised $4 million, <laughs> period. Like, that speaks volumes just about where where the gaming community and just the investment opportunities are. You know what I'm saying? You raised $4 million for a console that has PlayStation 1, you know, style hardware in there, you know, chipsets, etc., uh, I look. I I I think you, you might be taking too much away from it. I think a lot of a lot of people are in the fact that you know they raise that money based on the fact that they're basically giving you one of the consoles for a hundred dollars, and right. you know that includes free free shipping. And uh, you know I don't know how they're going to make any money on that. I mean that's insane. I mean because just you know. Uh, you're, yeah, you're taking out all the middleman and stuff, but they got to manufacture and ship it. I mean, they're going to kind of come up. I think they're going to kind of come up empty on that, unless the thing uh, comes and it's got like no cables in it or anything, and they're like, "Yeah, hey, you got to buy a cable for it, but it's going to cost you another hundred dollars or something." Because I just don't see how they're going to they're they're going to do it. So I think that drove it a lot. Plus, they sold the development systems, you know, for and they, and they sold all of them out, but. You know, they're very cheap. I mean, when you look at a dev system for uh, any standard game console, you're talking like $50,000 at least for, you know, a, a development system for a handheld or a game console. So to buy, to buy one for 1500 on Kickstarter, you know, it's, it's easy. If you're already making Android games, which are probably a lot of these people have heard about it, you know, Android developers are like, oh, this is kind of cool. Look, guys, we can spend $1,500, get a, you know, a, a development kit and start developing on it and just port our games over to it. And I think that's what everybody's thinking. We're just going to port our stuff over to it. Maybe they'll get some controller support. Maybe that'll work. You'll get a few things, but you're not going to get any sort of real exclusivity. I, I don't think so. I don't think you're going to get anybody that's going to step forward and say, hey, we're just going to make a game just for this system. So they'd have to bankroll that themselves. But to answer your question, 
buying a piece of hardware like this has less risk because you're getting something for it. And you know that it's going to do something as soon as you get it. But this stuff where people are like paying for a video game to be developed, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's going to be a lot of, I don't think that's going to get a lot of legs. Not unless the games are really cheap. I mean, it, it, you know, if somebody came along and it is a big game and they said, look, we're going to make System Shock 3 and uh, we want you to, you know, throw in $20 and you get a full version of the game and an action figure. Yeah, they're going to, you know, they're going to get millions of dollars in order to develop it. But, um, you know, most of these guys come along and they're like, well, we're, we're starting up an indie game and it's about, you know, zombie killing and stuff. And people are like, I'm not, I'm not giving you anything for it. You know, you, you just, you have, you have a few people out there that can probably generate a lot of money doing this. And, I, and, then, and then I think there's probably like a lack of oversight. So just because you say, hey, I'm going to make the next Call of Duty or something, you know, and the Call of Duty developers say, hey, whatever, you know, not that that would happen, but, you know, if they did, you have no idea if that game's going to be crap or not. You know, do you really want, I mean, it's, it's tough to say. I, I don't know. Because uh, granted, that, ha- that goes on today. I mean, people pre-order games all the time, and to my dismay, and I sit there and I say, don't pre-order something until you read the reviews about it, you know, but people go ahead and they do it anyway. And game quality, for the, you know, for the most part, has gotten a lot better. I mean, if you pre-order the next Mass Effect, you're pretty much guaranteed Mass Effect's not going to be a piece of crap, you know. It's like games have sort of progressed in that direction, but, you know, Doing something on a Kickstarter, man, I don't know. There's, so, you know, somebody could release a buggy piece of crap, and a lot of games get canceled. A lot of team, you know, in real life, get canceled. Teams get abolished. Uh, guys shut down the whole thing. You know, look at StarCraft Ghost. You know that kind of thing. You know, they they, they take stuff and just uh, eliminate it because they're not happy with the quality control of it. But meanwhile, if you do it on a Kickstarter, you're paying sixty bucks for something that it, it might just be a total piece of crap. Yeah, I think. The the funny thing with the, with this is that when I published the article, you know, late last night, and I and you know I put up the video and stuff, people are like, yeah, well, you know, you don't have all this first party support, and you know, pe- people automatically were like, you know, fuck this thing, which is fine, but but the thing the thing people just just aren't seeing, it's very easy to be negative. Negative is the trendy right. thing, you know. It's a lot easier for you to say this console is going to be this console is going to hold up the loose leg of my toilet versus saying, you know, this might be a pretty good idea because it's the trendy thing to do. And, and, you know, I, I acknowledge that with, with my audience. It's like, you know, you want to hate on something. That's cool. I mean, I hate on shit all the time. It's the, it's the foundation of the show, but I also take the opportunity to recognize that these guys took a risk and they said, Hey, we're going to come up with this console and, you know, we want to raise $950,000 and Hey, it can happen. Maybe it can't. Like it for me personally, I think that the Kickstarter platform, especially from a gaming standpoint, opens up the possibility for people to just be creative. Because what's happened is people have become too accustomed to liking what major publishers put out. Versus, you know, look at games like Bastion or Limbo. You know what I mean? Games that you would never in a million years say, "Hey, I want to play this game that's completely dark with some kid with glowing eyes." And then you're going to think it's the, and then you're going to think after you play it, you're like, this is the greatest shit ever. You know, it's like Kickstarter and, and crowdsourcing, I just feel are the foundation for creativity. You know, people that are automatically saying it's going to suck. It's like, all right, dude, you, you feel it's going to suck. That's cool. But it's four million fucking dollars. 
<laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's a lot of money, but they got competition, too. I mean, I've heard Microsoft is most likely going to have a $99 Xbox 360 soon. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they've got, um, you know, they have that whole indie developer thing on, on live. You can buy games for a couple of bucks or whatever, Microsoft points, 200 Microsoft points or whatever, you know. And a lot of those games are ass. I mean, and there's a few that will come out that will be halfway decent. And I like this idea that, you know, there's there's this trend to get people more interested in developing games and, you know, they can have this and they could they could put whatever they want on it. But, you know, building games is hard. It's it's just one of those things. It's, you know, it's the technology it is grown so much, it's really difficult to make something that's not like a, just a total ripoff. And I like that it's open and anybody can run anything they want on it because, you know, you'll, you're you going to get all these emulators on it. You're going to get all of the um, uh, ripped off, like, ROMs and everything. Oh, yeah, the emulation run, you know, market be, is going to be sick. <laughs> right. It, it's going to be the total, you know, uh, nostalgia console, <laughs> you know, that you could just sit back and play all the, all the early stuff on it, you know, uh, really easily. So, I mean, there's a lot of benefits to it in, in the sense that for 99 bucks, you're going to get a lot of entertainment. But I just don't see it being, I mean, it, literally, you know, it doesn't have enough horsepower to, to be a real competitor to the next generation systems. It can be something else, and that's great. But it's just not, you know, it's never going to be the system that, you know, it's not going to be the Indrema uh, uh, system that's going to have the, the hardware in order to compete. It's just not. It's, it's going to, you know, all of the best games are still going to be, all of the AAA games are still going to be out on, I don't want to say best because there's some fun games on handhelds, but all of the, the big AAA games are still going to be out on the on the major consoles. But, you know, still, you know, I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, that's a good question, too. I mean, do you think that these handheld games really have the, have you found that the games that you play on, like, phones and, um, you know, tablets have the longevity to, to be worthwhile on the television? Well, here's here's where here's where it gets crazy for me. Uh, one of the things these guys put out was, hey, you know, we made all this money, we broke records and blah, blah, blah. What improvements would you like to see to the system? So people are like, you know, better processor, better RAM, better storage. So the money's right. going to be applied that way and it may get us more powerful games. Now, in terms of applying, more, you know, handheld games to the TV, I think that for everybody that knocks... You know, oh, I can play these games on my phone. Yeah, it's great. But if you're playing, you're trying to play a game like like Temple Run or something that's a little bit more involved, you're you're not gonna want to be hunched over staring at your phone. Like you play a game like that when you're on the bowl for a little bit, or you're on the train, <laughs> or you're on the bus, or you're at the doctor's office. The console opens up the possibility for those games to be extended a little bit more. And regarding longevity, look at Angry Birds. Look at the concept of Angry Birds. It's the equivalent of taking a slingshot and shooting it at a stack of cans. <laughs> Angry Birds is really just every childhood kid's dream when they were younger. Shooting a slingshot at some bottles that were in the shape of a pyramid and they fall. Nobody, nobody, yeah, but nobody. It's a, but it's, but it's a, oh, go ahead. No, what I was saying is that nobody, you know, people like that the innocence of that, the fun of that, because it's simple. You can get a level in here or there. But imagine you take now, they want to do a sequel for Angry Birds with the pigs and all this other shit, and you're able to give that game longevity with the controller. You, know, you can have a little bit more fun. Maybe you make it multiplayer, do Angry Birds multiplayer, have some fun with that. I mean, you can do it on your mobile devices, 
but you're giving that game to an even better audience. I mean, younger kids can play it now. You know, the parent doesn't have to worry about their kid dropping the phone in the toilet or, or, or dropping their phone down the stairs. I mean, the console has a place for that. Yeah, it, it's just that, you know, Angry Birds being, you know, one of the, you know, the, the, the top ten list being the exception. I mean, there's a lot of games out there that get produced that go nowhere. You know, they sell these things for a dollar. People are fickle. You know, you come out with a game that costs five bucks, people frown, they're never going to buy it unless it's triple A or something, you know, it has fantastic reviews, and even then you, you're going to lose your audience. It's a weird market on, the, on these handhelds, and it's going to be interesting to see if those experiences can, that are on the console can be brought over for a, for a, you know, a, a dollar figure that is acceptable to people. And I don't know. I don't, I just think that, you know, it's a, it has legs. It has people behind it, and it could it could do some it could do something. But I think all they really need to do is support that controller. If they can get enough people to buy this console and tell enough developers to support a game controller, that's a win. That's just a huge win all the way around. Because yeah, you can sit, and if it's going to be on the the um, the Vizio device or the Ouya or or whatever you got, you know your HDMI from your phone plug right in your TV. If you can throw a Bluetooth controller on and relax in your living room and play games, and this thing's a, a great win for everybody. Uh, it, but in terms of um, revolutionizing game development, I don't know. I my the court's still out, man. I just don't. I you know developers are going to go where the money is. So yep. they're going to they're going to try and make the most money however they can. And if the dollars are there, then if people are buying games, then it's going to that's where they're going to be. But, you know, at the same time, it's, it's hard, you know, as much as everybody's talking, the people have gone to the mobile platform because the, the regular consoles are very competitive. It's very hard to see how, you know, you're going to get somebody that's used to making $60 on a, on a game, uh, trying to sell something for a buck. There's gotta be, um, I I really think there's gotta be some sort of middle of the road sort of pricing model that's going to make it. So, um, it's almost like a minimum wage or something. Like you have to set the minimum higher than what it is. So, uh, because gamers are too fickle for the, you know, for a buck, it's just, I mean, I'm in, I'm in the same boat. I'm on my iPhone or whatever. And I see a game and it looks pretty cool. And it'll say like four ninety nine, And I don't know why, cause I'm not, you know, I can go buy a $60 game for my console but when I'm on the phone, I look at it. And I go, I'm not spending five bucks on this game. <laughs> you know, it's, no, I, it's like some weird, it's like weird disease in my head. I don't understand it. No, you're, you know, it's it's funny you look at it that way because a lot of people are in that camp. But the the thing that gets me is that handheld gaming is for you know it it, it goes twofold. What you were saying about fickle gamers is something that while it it, it motivates publishers to put out better games it also ruins the enjoyment of a game as well because you know to sit there and to bash a game for whatever reason it's like when we were playing nintendo and super nintendo games sometimes you'd beat the boss and it would just say thank you for playing fuck you shut it off you know what i mean there wasn't yeah and we and we enjoyed that because like oh shit i beat the game yeah and then you'd leave and and you'd go do what you're gonna do now it's more along the lines where, you know, man, the graphics could have been better for the boss fight. It's like you, ten years ago, you assholes didn't have that. 
You know what I mean? So that fickleness, that fickleness is is a hindrance. But going into platforms like Ouya and even mobile gaming, it's kind of bringing that full circle and giving you just nice basic stuff. Like you beat Angry Birds, you get a little lameo, you know, flashy ending, and you're done. You know, you beat Temple Run or you beat, um, you know, Infinity Blade. Like Infinity Blade, you beat that. You're like, yes, you know, that's like accomplishment. <laughs> but you know, it, it's it's it, partly. I like all this stuff because it's a reboot to the basics, to what gaming was originally about. It was you picking up this little game, playing it till you got bored with it, or playing it till you beat it, and moving on. And you'd either, you know, replay it, or you'd pick up something else. And, you know, if you're buying a game for a buck, you know, that fickleness kind of will go out the window. You, you know, you citing that you see a four ninety nine game and you don't want to buy it. I'm in that same camp, but you know what? Over time, I, I've I've bought the occasional dollar game, or I've bought the occasional game that you know started off free and then you pay for it. But again, you have to kind of start ingraining that into people the same way you ingrained making gamers pay sixty bucks. It's a training process. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I but it's just going to be you know it, it's it's kind of like what I was saying before, where you know if you pick up the next version of Mass Effect, you know Mass Effect is going to be great. You know, the same sort of thing I think has to happen with these smaller games is that, you know, if, if Angry Birds Space would cost more than Angry Birds, people would probably buy Angry Birds Space. But a lot of times it just doesn't work that way. I mean, a lot of times there's just this big group of people that really draw the line on what they're willing to pay for a mobile experience game versus, uh, you know, something that's much larger and more full featured. And I, you know, I don't know what the, you know, what the trick is with that. I think a lot of it has to do with marketing and, you know, the, a lot of the hype that goes into game consoles. I mean, there's millions and millions of dollars being poured into that to make it feel like you're missing out on something if you don't play this game. And a lot of these independent games have no marketing dollars at all. They're hoping that somebody talks about it on a website or it manages to get on a top 10 list. Otherwise, nobody ever finds out about it or anything. And it, it's a really weird market. I, what I hope that comes out of something like this Ouya console is that somebody can sit down and stop trying to make a better puzzle game or another Angry Birds. Stop trying to, like, you know, create some nostalgia game that looks like an old 8-bit game that you used to play back in the day. I mean, those are cool, and, and granted, you know, if that's what you want to do, go for it. But I want to see somebody kind of try and build something new that's, you know, a, a different experience. And I, I, I guess that goes without saying that everybody sort of wants that, but this is your best opportunity to do it because now nobody's saying what you can't do. Nobody's saying you can't use our network to go out and, you know, interface with other systems or nobody's saying you can't bring in video or, or whatever it is, you know, licensing restrictions and all this sort of stuff that goes on with these things. Now you have the opportunity to build those, build those games. Do you remember that game um, that came out from Electronic Arts uh, years back where um, it would like call you on the phone and like, um, instant message you and things like that. It didn't last very long. It, it was only, it was like supposed to be in different parts. It was like a conspiracy type of game that involved like your, your real life. You had to like find clues out oh, on the internet. Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. That it, it, it was to, that people were complaining because it was running up their bill. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. And it, it had all sorts of, um, you know, it had some prospects for for doing a lot of cool things, and Electronic Arts, you know, killed it because it just didn't sell enough or whatever. But as an independent developer, you know, doing something like that, 
that's the sort of thing where you could really sort of create that new experience. And it doesn't have to be that, but it could be something like that that we're just missing. You know, we're, all we have now is a bunch of Zynga games and uh, puzzle games and and um, you know arcade experiences shrunk down on the handheld. And it, it would be really great that if somebody could sit down and. And this is probably the environment to do it now. This is it. This is an open OS. This has got the cheap dollars to do it. You know, sit down and develop something that could be really um, unique. And that's where you're going to see people make millions of dollars. And that could be the thing that lifts the console off the ground. I mean, that's, you know, you don't need to bring Call of Duty and first-party development to a system like this. What you need to do is bring game to it that's so original that can't be done on these other systems. That's when you start to see, you know, that the revolution that, you know, they're trying to really accomplish yeah i see that um slick wants to get in on this conversation and then we'll uh get into some gaming news uh let me just bring him in briefly slick what's up brother what do you got what's up man how's it going um i think the as far as that we are concerned it has a chance I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna write it off right away because the price will attract people, especially around holiday time. It, it's gonna be a no-brainer that around holiday time is gonna sell a lot, especially if it gets into any kind of Black Friday ad. Um, but really, all they need to do—they don't need any fancy games. They just need to catch the right market. Because I think about the games that. I actually went out to buy because I don't buy a whole lot of games anymore because you have the problem of every year there's another Call of Duty and that Matten uh, <laughs> refresh. So, I mean, I think about the games that I've bought so far this year. You take a game like Lollipop Chainsaw and it sold me off the trailers and when I played the game, I loved it because of the nostalgia factor. The game is basically, you know, you're playing through the B-movies we watched as kids and listening to the music we listened to as kids. I mean, this chick is chopping up zombies to Hey Mickey, literally. <laughs> this is true. And then you get a game like Dead Island. Where, I mean, it's one of the few multiplayer games that I get to enjoy because you don't have to, have to worry about dealing with nine-year-olds screaming in the air. And with that game, it's just, it's really the sort of a reality slash ridiculousness factor. You have zombies literally beating the shit out of you. But if something's going to hit you and you have a chainsaw in your hand and you don't want it to hit you, cut its fucking arms off. <laughs> and you can literally do that in that game. No, I, I mean, it's like, it, original concepts definitely help games sell i mean you know me i i i I have boycotted madden i haven't played a madden game in at least six years maybe more for that reason because i got to the point where i said what the fuck man it's the same shit what i can i can go inside the quarterback's helmet you know can i say (laughs) can i can i pray in front of my connect like tim tebow let me just do that let me do the tebow in the in the end zone on my connect get the fuck out of here Guess what? If I want quarterback view, I'll get off my big ass and go outside and play some football. Thank you. No, you're, you're I mean, yeah, you're, I, go ahead, Kev. 
I was just gonna. I think nostalgia will be there. You know, I think when you want to sit down and play all the old games, this is gonna be an open system where no, there's no restriction on what you'll be able to run on it. So, like I was saying earlier, every emulator that is is gonna be on here. You know, I mean, it's gonna be running uh, PlayStation and back probably before too long. Not to say that's legal, but whatever. <laughs> it's still gonna be there, and uh, you know, it, it's gonna be just a massive collection of emulators that you're gonna be able to play. You know, anything you want. So. You know, it, it, it's going to have probably all sorts of, you know, video um, streaming, all the video channels and streaming apps. There's going to be like none of that stuff that they're doing with Google TV where they're like, oh, you can't, you know, you can't watch it because you're using Google TV. You know, it'll be whatever app that somebody hacked together decides to run it. So you'll be able to watch, you know, everything and probably tons of pirated videos from all those crazy Russian websites and everything too. So, you know, having a completely open system like this, you know, where it's driven by apps is going to be really interesting. It's going to be like the Wild West, though. I mean, the thing could totally get infected by uh, crazy viruses. You know, Mom, the Ouya is taking over the house. You know, she gets crushed by the garage door. You have no idea what's going to happen with it. It's going to be really interesting. <laughs> Anything else you want to add, Slick? No, I mean, I agree with what he's saying, but it's like it's one way or the other. Either... Either we're going to have to go completely open source or it's like these developers and not the developers, but like Sony and Microsoft, they just, they're trying to lock everything down to keep money in their pocket. So open source really looks like the way to go because the lockdown is really taken away from the enjoyment of the gamer. I, I agree a hundred percent. Um, before I, before I let you go and I, and that way I can bang out the news, um, talking about, you know, first person shooters and originality, uh, you know, Activision announced that they're doing a first person shooter of the walking dead where you get to play as Daryl and Merle and, um, you'll be, you'll have to use uh, stealth to duck the zombies, but you'll also be able to recruit people into your party. Um, slick. I know, you know, you're a big dead Island fan. How do you, how, you know, how do you feel about seeing the walking dead, going into into first-person territory? I really would have to see more. Like, I did look at it, and the the trailers and the website really showed us a whole lot of nothing. <laughs> like trailers I do? Mean, literally, they showed us, they showed, well, the trailer was like a, bun- a bunch of pictures. There was no gameplay. So it's like it's showing us the way it wants the game to go but it's not showing us the actual game yet. And it's like, I can't see stealth working with Merle in the picture. <laughs> this is true. If it was just a little brother, I could see it working because he's always about the, you know, the bow and arrow and, you know, conserving the arrows and shit and reusing them with. With Merle's loud ass, I can't see that working very well. <laughs> this is true. Will will you be able to stop and do crystal meth? Is the question. Wow! <laughs> Come on, the dude had the bag of crystal meth from Breaking Bad in his bag. You know, that was a nice little Easter egg in there. You know, are you gonna be able to stop and toke up a little bit? Hey, man, I need a hit of this shit to kill some zombies. <laughs> well, that would be that would also be going back to the lack of originality because there you go in Dead Island. You know, alcohol is used as a power up. Right. 
So personal message is the power of. I mean, <laughs> it's funny, but it's still it's just been done. Yeah, I figured I figured you would be a a good gauge for that. What about you, Kev? I know I know the I know Brian will be all over this shit. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you get to kill Carl in the game, that'd be great. Right oh, there. man. It would make my day. <laughs> just kill Carl at the end. You just have Laurie pop out and go, where's Carl? And he's walking towards you, just shoot him. You roll the <laughs> fucking credits. This game takes place before they met. Fuck it. Kill him anyway. Every zombie should just look like Carl with a hat. <laughs> Different hats. You know, baseball cap Carl, Rick Grimes hat Carl, no hat Carl. Fuck it. <laughs> there you go. I was killing children. Eh. Little zombie children. Fuck it. I'll take it. <laughs> this country was built on fucked up things. We might as well continue the trend. Only if I get to use a baseball bat. Yes! Good man. <laughs> Alright, my friend. Anything else? No, I'm good for now. Bye, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks. Peace. Alright. All right, Kev. I just wanted to touch on some news with you, and then I'll uh, I will let you head off into the sunset. Um, All right, cool man. Rocksteady announced that they're going to do a prequel to Arkham Asylum, that's rumored to feature the Justice League. Variety had reported on it, and um, they're saying that they want to go back to the Silver Age of DC. Um, I, you know, I think it's cool that they want to go into that, and I actually think that it's their way of testing if Rocksteady can handle other heroes. Because at this point, why not just give Rocksteady the DC license to do all these fucking games? Yeah, but isn't that like... I mean, I don't know what exactly what the Silver Age is, but, I mean, are we just, you know... Dark Knight is Dark Knight, you know? If you start going back to the the earlier comic-y sort of stuff, doesn't it just get kind of... I mean, does it get sort of cheeseball, I mean, at that point? Am I just playing Lego Batman? You well, know, I mean, it's got a like to like to keep it sort of somewhat dark, you know. No, I I agree. I think what they may do is still keep the dark tone but borrow that that age of of character so they can play with it a little bit. Like it'll probably still be violent. There won't be as much, uh, you know, any sexual innuendo or, you know, any stuff like that unless they go that route. But I think that going that in, that going into that route is just like I said, I think it's just a test to see what, you know, Rocksteady can do with properties like Wonder Woman. Batman, the well, Wonder Woman, Superman, you know, the Flash, those gold, those Golden Age characters when Batman formed the Justice League. Not only that, but I think just playing around with different play mechanics is going to be something worth checking out. Honestly, going, going, you know, continuing from Arkham City, I, I think they kind of backed themselves into a corner. But for this prequel to work, man, you're going to have to do something really crazy because you know Arkham Asylum and Arkham City just raised the bar so high. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's also just that the Dark Knight has become a very sort of really interesting character. You know, the the I mean, the bat. You know, I say Batman. You know, but I'm just saying the Dark Knight series. You know, Christopher Nolan. You know, directing these movies has made it you know much more public and aware and everything. I I don't have good thoughts of Wonder Woman. You know, I mean, I I dig the old '70s show where she'd you know. Linda Carter would spin around an explosion of lightning appearing like a red, white, blue bikini and stuff. And but I mean, it's ridiculous to me. I, you know, and I'm sure the comics have something a little bit more interesting than an invisible jet these days, but I just don't know if that's really going to translate with audiences. I also think Superman is too powerful. You know, I mean, 
you could weaken him by throwing some kryptonite on him or whatever, but the guy, I mean, come on. I mean, it's just ridiculous. He's just, you know, he's way over the top. I know, but there's some other characters in the DC universe that might be more interesting that, you know, they could explore, but then those are the less, the, the less popular ones. So I think DC has some struggles there with trying to do this. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I mean, look, I'll play any game if it's fun. You know, and but um, it seems like Marvel has had a better track record of late outside of these um, uh, Arkham titles for Batman, and uh, so it would be good to see that they you know try and branch off into some some of the other properties that they have. But I don't know; it's still tough. I mean, I, I don't think video game uh, video games have gotten powerful enough, or the control mechanisms have gotten interesting enough to really do something like you know playing Green Lantern, for instance. You know, it'd be cool if you could make your own, be like draw this or draw something. You know, or you could come up with your own green green things that you want to interact in Green Lantern's world or something. You know, and I think we're still a long way away from that. Well, one thing I, I did I did like about the concept is that at least it opens. Uh, the floodgates for you to play with some villains because if you're gonna have the Justice League, you know you can put the Legion of Doom in there, you know, with Lex Luthor, Gorilla Grodd, uh, Cheetah, all those characters, and you can have fun with that and just make it that you know maybe you'll play three levels as Batman, play two levels as Superman, fight that, and then towards the end you can kind of pick the ending based on the character. I think going that route, but still keeping it, you know, if you're gonna use the Silver Age like you were saying, just make it a, keep it in that same dark tone. But just take it back to that beginning, you know, maybe tweak Batman's costume a little bit, change some of his, you know, his attributes. Maybe he's not using the bat computer. Maybe he's using something more, you know, more antiquated where he kind of has to go to the bat cave periodically and get location, something, something to kind of bring it full circle. And then playing as some of those other characters maintain that same level of control, but add some of those abilities, like you said, like Green Lantern, clearly we can't do anything where we're going to draw his powers but, you know, make it that the the attacks are based on combinations that can create different things based on how you juggle the buttons, you know? Right, yeah. I mean, it it all comes down to who's developing it and how, how much, you know, they put into it and if it's going to be fun. It's, the track record for these things aren't very good, you know? But uh, like you say, Arkham City, Arkham Asylum, these are games that... Uh, Really, they did a really good job on. So, uh, you know, if they do, if they just kind of stick with those play mechanics, and you know, um, have a lot of villains and all this sort of stuff in there that people are familiar with, then it's really great. But I, I mean, you know, some people are familiar with Superman's villains and stuff, but I, I don't know, man. Who's who's Wonder Woman's villain? The Nazis? Red no, I mean, Wonder Woman has Wonder Woman has che- the Cheetah, which is one of her big villains. Um, oh. and you could throw her in there because she's part of the Legion of Doom anyway. So you can you can kind of throw some of them in there, you know, with Green Lantern. Yeah. Obviously, you could throw in Sinestro. Uh, you know, maybe maybe right. give Aquaman a little love. But I I think I think the concept is there. I just like you were saying, Rocksteady just has to wow everybody to make people say, oh wow, they're gonna take it back to the Silver Age. That's gonna suck. Like they have to come out of the gate with something that's just gonna make people go, holy shit, that's kind of awesome. Yeah, uh, no, I, I I agree. I I agree with you. I mean, I think that it, it's just if you're not familiar with these characters, because these you know there hasn't been a big Wonder Woman movie. You know, there there was a TV show pilot or something that got you know or whatever got tanked. Um, you know, and people are somewhat familiar with Superman, although it's getting on in the years. You know, and 
it's it's more like you know what happened on Smallville than it was uh, what happened at the movie theater anymore. Um, I don't know if it's going to have the same reach. I guess is what I'm saying. DC's got to do a little bit better in in trying to reach out uh, to those audiences and maybe try to work off of some of the more familiar movies you know that have recently come out, like Green Lantern. Um, but I still think Batman's just it's got so many legs up on it. I mean, right now, Batman's the biggest thing going on, you know, and it's, it's huge and it's, you know, the new movie's about to come out. So I totally see why it's such, you know, it's, it's a driving success coming out of a wonder woman game. It's just not going to have the same appeal, I think, but it could be great. So, you know, you have to just wait and see. Well, in some cash grab news, check this shit out. You know how we had, how they revamped and, and re-released Halo, you know, with HD graphics and all that stuff. Well, it, you know, it, it, I knew it was a matter of time, but now it's looking like Halo 2 is going to get the revamped treatment and get cr- and get pushed out. You know, it dropped in, in 2004, maybe they'll drop it in 2014 for the 10-year anniversary and, you know, give it the HD visuals. Seriously, I mean, you guys, the, uh, Halo was supposed to end at 3 and be done. Then of course, oh, we're gonna go with Halo Four now, and not only that, you're gonna you're already double dipping by redoing the anniversary cash grab. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, is this even Bungie at this point? I don't think it no. Three four three three four three is doing it. Yeah. They did a Halo Four, right? And I mean, I saw it. I wasn't. I mean, it's more for the fans of Halo. This isn't really doing anything that I think that's really sort of jumping out at me when I, I, I watched, you know, the E3 videos. I mean, there's some interesting monsters and things, but it just looks like more more of the same, maybe a little bit more difficult now because they want to offer new challenges to the guys who say the games are too easy and that kind of thing. I think it's sort of distancing itself from um, making it accessible to new players it's more or less just about, you know, trying to keep that base going that Microsoft's enjoying selling, you know, five or six million copies of Halo to every time they come out with a new one. Um, I, I, but beyond that, I, I don't, th- I, I sort of see the franchise as sort of dead. I mean, I think it's, it's run its course. It, you know, it, there's still going to be fans of it and everything, but the, the team that was behind it, the team that came up with the, the story and the mythology and everything, they're gone now. You know, they're on the, Bungie's on to make it some kind of pirate game last I heard. So, um, you know, it's going to be uh, a new team, a new direction. But the, historically, I, that just hasn't really worked out. You know what I mean? It's, it, Microsoft's going to pay one team to work on it this time. They're going to pay another team to work on something else. And eventually, the numbers are just going to get kind of sweeped under under the rug. It, it, it happens. Once in a while, it works out. I don't mean to be so negative about it because I actually like the Halo game. I, I mean, I, I'm one of those people that a lot of people like sort of thumbs down it all the time and sit there and say, oh, I hate Halo, it's stupid, there's nothing to do it. I mean, I've totally spent many hours kicking back just playing Halo, having a good time. I mean, I don't take it that seriously. I'm a freaking space marine shooting alien bugs on the screen, man. I, you know, who cares? I mean, it doesn't. And not everything has to be political. There doesn't have to be big arguments about every stupid thing. You know, it's just a game. It's kind of fun to kick back and play it. But I, I, I also think, though, that, you know, bringing in somebody new to just kind of take what they had and uh, add some new content and, and, you know, increase some challenges and things, that's not really that interesting to me. I, I'd rather just have them come up with some, something new and, you know, try to, try to create new, uh, new universes and things and, and kind of take it, take it somewhere else. Well, 
in turn in terms of beating a dead horse we know they're doing it but you know who else is doing it freaking rovio they are actually going to drop the angry birds trilogy on consoles 360 ps3 and ds you're going to get angry birds angry birds seasons and rio they're going to throw in you know new cinematics extra, some extras and stuff and then all of it's going to be you know up and retreated in in high resolution format and then what they're going to add to it is going to be connect, move, and street pass functions as well. I think we're, we're I think we're at a point where I'm just waiting for Angry Birds toilet paper so I can wipe my ass with a bird. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, I mean, I like what they're doing, but it's like really you're putting it on consoles now. Has, has have you squeezed the nut that much that that you know you're going to re-release it on consoles? That, you know, how do you feel about it? Because me personally, I mean. You know, I play it on the phone occasionally when I'm bored, but, you know, you're not even putting space on there. Like, what the fuck? I mean, what, what's interesting, yeah, that, that, that last thing you just said is exactly my point. I, if I was going to play something that I hadn't played yet, it'd be space, you right. know, and that there, there would have been, like, a nice package because that would have been one that I don't already have, and probably a lot of other gamers probably haven't bit the bullet on that and, uh, you know, and, and picked it up, so... Yeah, why not do that? I, I, I can't fault these guys for just tr- trying to put it there because you know what? It's not even. It's probably not even their decisions. It's probably the, you know Microsoft or Sony or somebody coming up to them and being like, "We really want Angry Birds on our console. How can we get it to happen?" Here's you some know? money. And they probably sit there. Yeah, right. And they're <laughs> sitting there going, "Well, it's really just kind of a game for the phones and the iPads." So yeah, but but if we give you like a new car and a house and. If we, you know, we got girls, we could bring some girls in to dance for you, and here's some cash, and we got some cocaine here for you guys if you want that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, eventually, they just give in. They're just like, all right, I mean, fine. Fuck it. You know? <laughs> yeah, fuck it. I, I think that's really all it is. I mean, they've made so much money off of this little puzzle game, you know? And, um, they, and, and they've been actually a cool developer. I don't want to knock them either, because many times throughout the, you know, when this game first came out, they were always releasing new maps and new content for that game and not charging anything for it. Right. All the time. And, Very loyal. You know, what a great company, what a great company to do that. You know, and that's, that's the way all companies should be. They should try not to nickel and dime you to death, you know, keep rewarding that $1 sale because, you know, you're getting some value there. So that's, that's awesome. And I don't, I, I don't really knock them for doing this, but I do agree that we're at that. We, we are really at that angry bird saturation point. You know, yeah, I mean, I see those little rubber ball Angry Bird things at the grocery store now. That's enough for me. <laughs> well, I don't need to see any more Angry Birds. Well, you know what? You know what's funny? They're they're putting it out on the 3DS, and you know the 3DS has been getting a lot of flack too because you know Iwata announced not too long ago. They're like, yeah, we're gonna release the 3DS XL, and then you know I went into an, a, a a whole diatribe about it because. All right, we're going to release the bigger handheld, but we're not going to add the second analog stick. But you can buy the bigger analog add-on, much like you could buy for the 3DS. It's like, does Nintendo really just enjoy bending o- bending gamers over and, and just sticking them? Because that's what they're doing. It's like, yeah, you know, Iwata went and he said, oh, the 3DS XL will not be selling at a loss. You know, they don't have a huge profit margin on it, but they intend to sell it at a profit. It's It's gotten to the point where it's like, Dude, it's just not working anymore. Stop beating people over the head. Make one handheld, put games out for it, and make your money that way. Making these people have to rebuy the consoles, it's like, who doesn't have some sort of a, of a DS at this point? To make yeah, them have I, to sell I it agree. and buy a bigger one. 
I agree with you, and I, I, what really sort of angers me is the fact that Nintendo swore up and down that they, there was no revision for this thing in the works, and, it, and if there was going to be one, it wouldn't be for a long time, and it hasn't even been very long. You know, they, they basically saw that there were complaints about the screen size and pretty much set right off to develop a, uh, a larger system. And granted, they don't want to tell people not to buy the old one when a new one is coming, but they shouldn't have been so vocal about denying it. I mean, right. they should have just been quiet. And, and they, they, these guys were literally lying that there was n- no plan or nothing coming or, you know, and they're doing it again now. You know, they're like, now we're talking about releasing a new system, you know, and, it's like, sure you are. I, I, I don't know what to expect from Nintendo anymore. I, it, you know, this thing will sell. They'll sell millions of them because they, they monopolize a market of young gamers, mostly, that don't, parents don't feel comfortable selling them or giving them anything else. You're not going to give a kid a, a PlayStation Vita. Forget about it. It's too expensive, and uh, they're just going to, you know, it's too complicated. They're not going to get it. And... I agree that the second analog stick should have been on there, but unlike the PSP, the the touchscreen on the um, on the 3DS can be used as a secondary, you know, form of control. It's not right. great, but for the most part, it has it has some advantages over the original PSP. I mean, the original PSP only had that one the one uh, analog, right? And that you know you don't have that secondary aiming like you do, like for instance, the Kid Icarus. Yeah, you know, that had, um, you know, you were doing your analog aiming and firing with the touchpad while you were moving with the analog stick. So it has advantages, but yeah, it should have a second analog stick. And, you know, they will come out with one later that does. I mean, everybody knows it. Everybody yeah. knows Nintendo's stick now. It, it's, it, it's totally gotten old. And I, you know, I, I, I don't know what to say though. They're, gonna, they're just going to keep getting away with it because there's no until somebody else comes up with a system, until Sony wakes up or Microsoft wakes up and produces a system that appeals to young younger kids. Uh, there's uh, Nintendo's always going to own that market, and, and it's you know they're going to own the tweens and everything else because there's just a lot of parents out there that are just not going to buy their kids a cell phone. You know what I mean? It, it, maybe they'll get them a, an iPad t- or an iPod Touch or something or an iPad maybe, but. Um, you know, nine times out of ten, it's always going to be like a, a, a 3DS or something. Well, the 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 thing that that annoyed me is like, all right, we're going to put it out. There's a nice empty spot where you can put the second analog stick, but we're not going to do that. Oh no, we're going to release the add-on, a big add-on, so you can stick it on, so it'll look like you're carrying one of the cell phones from the late '80s in your pocket. It's like, here, just carry this brick in your pocket that's supposed to be your DS. That's the shit that I don't like. And then the best part is that they sit there, these assholes, and they spin it like they're doing you a favor. Well, yeah, you know, the the analog add-on is, is, you know, essential for those other games. You know, it's not something that's mandatory. So why the fuck not just put it on the console that you're making people rebuy for the fifth time? What the hell is so difficult? That's the shit that I don't get. (laughs) This is the company that came out with, you know, a handheld console that didn't have a backlit screen. You know, you had to buy like a light to shine on the screen so you could see the game. Yep. You know, people go out and buy it. I don't, I don't understand it, man. I mean, it, 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 I, I just, you don't, you know, you don't know how things get communicated in companies like that. You know, do they, do they think to themselves, you know, when everybody's saying you should add a, another analog stick that they, they don't think so. I, you know what I mean? Like, does somebody come in and say, maybe we should put another analog stick on there? Oh, you're fired. Get him <laughs> out of here. 
That's <laughs> totally not. We're never going to have that. That'll that'll be third party add on. I mean, it's crazy. You know, it just it makes total common sense. I mean, even Sony's making fun of them now in their latest advertising campaign. You know, to say that um, you know the 3DS is missing this extra analog stick. It only took Sony like what five years to figure that out themselves. But um, yeah, it's it. It doesn't make a lot of sense, and, and it, it hurts. You know, you know what sucks about it is you can't get the console experience on a handheld. The Vita is the closest thing right now, and basically nobody's making any games for it. I mean, it, it's silly. Right? Why can't we get the games that are uh, on the console onto the handheld? They're powerful enough now. You know, why, why can't we have those same experiences? Why is it always some dumbed-down version of something, you know? Oh, if you right. get Call of Duty on the, the PlayStation 3 or the Xbox, and then you get it on, like, the 3DS, you, you know that that 3DS game ain't the game that you've been playing on the console. You know what I mean? It's totally going to be like a platformer or something horrible. It's going to be, like, nothing like it. And you're going to be like, this sucks. Why, why can't I play? It's 2012. I should be flying around in a car, have a jetpack on, doing all sorts of stuff, and we're still playing game system, handheld game systems like the original Game Boy. I mean, there's still these really pretty simple games. Uh, you know, they've improved the graphics and stuff, but, you know, those same sort of experiences are still going on on these systems, and it's it's really sort of getting depressing now. I, you know, the Vita looked like it was going to be our best chance to have that, and, you know, it's like all the developers are just like, well, we're not we're not developing for that. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. They, they kind of threw in the towel. But um, that uh, that actually wraps up all the all the stuff I wanted to go over with you, and it's also one o'clock in the all morning. Right, cool, but um, of course, you know, get uh, feel free to get all your plugs out of the way. I know they can follow you on Twitter at VGN Network, and of course, uh, visit VideoGameNews.com. But just uh, hit everybody with the uh, remaining plugs. Yeah, I mean, if you're on, if you got iTunes and you want to find uh, Oblast, just do look for O B L A S T. That's Oblast. Just do a search in podcasts. We also have an app, um, so you'll find it. I mean, there's not too many things called Oblast. If you see something in Russian, hey, you probably don't want that. That's not us. Um, and uh, video game news, of course, uh, um, or VGN Radio. Sometimes you can find it under that. And also as an app as well as a um, podcast. And you can go to videogamenews.com or you can always email me, editor at videogamenews.com if you need help refining anything or anything like that. And we've got a lot of shows. Definitely go to spill.com if you're into video games or movies. I mean, I'm not part of the movie side, but they do a lot of good stuff with that. And there's a lot of, they have a really interesting angle with animated, animations and there's a lot of art and all that sort of stuff going on there. So it's, it's a good thing to check out as well. So, Dude, it's always a pleasure being on your show. Uh, I think we had a really good conversation. I really appreciate you having me on. Oh, yeah, and of course, uh, last but not least, become a fan of uh, VGN on Facebook. Also, Kevin's Oblast is on Facebook as well, if I remember correctly. That's true, yeah. yeah you can so, always find me on Facebook. Yeah, find him on Facebook. Thanks a lot, brother. I appreciate you taking the time to come in, you know, shoot the shit with me. It's it's appreciated. Great, man. Great. Right, Glad brother. I was here. Talk to you later. All right, man. Peace. Take care of yourself. Peace. All right, guys, that was Kevin from VGN. Make sure to head over to videogamenews.com. You can also find him on Twitter, at VGN Network. Um, and, of course, all the shows on iTunes. All those links will be in the show notes, so be on the lookout for that. Um, last bit of gaming news I'd wanted to get out of the way um, that I didn't want to you know, really dig deep into with Kevin because it's, it's something kind of small. 
it's more related to something that I'm a fan of, which is the uh, star show Spartacus. Uh, Ubisoft is developing a fighting game based on the Spartacus series called Spartacus Legends. Um, that's supposed to be dropping on 2013 um, for 3D, uh, 3DS, for 360, PS3, and I think it's going to be really cool to see. You'll be able to play a Spartacus, Crixus, Gannicus. It's going to have offline and online multiplayer arena battles. And they're saying that you're actually going to be able to play it at the Stars Media booth if you're at the San Diego Comic-Con. So I haven't seen many pictures of it yet, but if anybody's at San Diego Comic-Con this weekend and wants to check it out, let me know how it is. Drop me a line at my take radio or email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com because I'm really curious to see um, what they're doing with that because I'm actually a, bi- a big fan of um, the Spartacus series. Also, um, Kevin was referencing the Kid Icarus game, and sadly, it's been announced that Project Sora, which developed Kid Icarus, was closed on June 30th. It was founded in 2009 by Masahiro Sakurai, who designed Super Smash Bros., and sadly, uh, they only got one game out, which was Kid Icarus Uprising, and then it was lights out for the studio. It's really sad to see when studios like that get caught out, get caught out there, aren't given uh, time to get out of the gate. And then they just have to fold because people lose jobs and and we don't get to see any other creative processes that they're going to put out. Um, well, we don't get to see the creative process at work for new titles that they're going to put out is what I meant to say. So um, highly, highly unfortunate. That's going to wrap up the gaming segment for this week. I'm going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to backtrack a little bit, talk some wrestling and get into some movies right after this. Oh, hey, how are you? My name is Blaine. I run a podcast called Boys Stop Radio. If you like to hear people talk about things, go to boysstopper.com to listen to Born Stopping Radio. It's an inconsistent podcast that might show up once or twice a month, but hey, guess who wins? You do. Thanks. With that... And that was uh, Blaine's new Born Stubborn advert. Got to throw a shout out to the crew at Born Stubborn Radio. Blaine, thanks for the commercial. Um, I know Kev and Anderson are going to be sending us some new commercials as well. But um, just make sure to check out Born Stubborn Radio. Become a fan on Facebook and check out some of their shows and products as well. Let's talk some wrestling. Booker T, take it away. We want the gold, sucker. Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you, nigga. All right, my Take Radio's wrestling segment is brought to you by WWE Shop Zone. Make sure if you're going to order any wrestling merchandise, head over to wweshop.com. Uh, you can enter WWE Save 10, which will save you $10 on any order over $70. That promo code is valid until July 31st. Again, wweshop.com is the sponsor for the My Take Radio wrestling segment. WWE Save 10 is the promo code to use to save yourself 10 bucks. All right, let's open up with TNA. They had a fantastic pay-per-view in TNA Destination X. Uh, some really, really exciting matches from start to finish. We had our X Division Ultimate X Finals. 
Uh, we had the quarterfinals as well. We had a last man standing match with AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels. We had a Bound for Glory series match with Samoa Joe and Kurt Angle, which is always a classic. Plus the world title match with Bobby Roode and Austin Aries, which of course crowned a new champion as Austin Aries defeated Bobby Roode and broke the longest reigning TNA champions win streak. Now, you guys know I shit on TNA often. Often. But the thing with TNA is that as of late, I don't know, maybe it's the change in the writers, maybe it's the the necessity to create new stars. They've been doing things right. The the impact episodes leading up to the pay-per-view were were very good. Uh, quite solid, and in some insta- in some instances, even better than some of the shit that's on Mondays and Fridays from our friends at WWE. But this pay per view, from start to finish, delivered everything we needed: great wrestling, title changes, and good storytelling. Of course, the X Division Tournament qualifying match had Rubik's, Mason Andrews, Lars Only, and Dakota Darso. Uh, great. Great match from all those guys, a lot of X-Division action, a lot of flying around. Some people were, you know, they call it a spot monkey match. Personally, I found it to be very enjoyable. It was an awesome opener. I enjoyed it tremendously. They also threw in a tournament match with Kid Cash and Mason Andrews, which was really good. Kid Cash is a tremendous heel. He should be used more often because he is he he brings something different to the X-Division in terms of just persona and look. So TNA... Do yourselves a favor, give Kid Cash more screen time, especially on the X Division front, because he's going to be a tremendous addition to that to that roster full-time. We also had a tournament match with Doug Williams and Kenny King. Of course, Kenny King was one half of the former Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions, and his match with Douglas Williams was very, very good. It felt a little bit disjointed just because probably the first time these guys worked together, but... I really enjoyed the match, and of course, Doug Williams and his fantastic Chaos Theory finisher is always a sight to behold. Kenny King is looking to make a name for himself in TNA, and I think he's going to be a guy that will have the X Division belt sooner rather than later. And, you know, it's unfortunate that, that things went the way they did with Ring of Honor, which I'll talk about later on in the segment, but I think he's going to do well in the X Division. San, Sanjay Dutt and Rashad Cameron had a really good match. Sanjay ended up getting injured. Uh, hopefully it's not an injury that'll keep him out too long only because, uh, again, Sanjay is a, a great addition to the X division. And with the renewed focus that they're going with, um, he's, he's going to do well. And of course, Zima Ion flipped Casanova. Zima Ion went on to win the X division match, um, a solid match against flip Casanova, who to some degree, he, he, his, his spots are fantastic. But they always worry me because they almost look like they're landing in a way that they shouldn't. It could just be the way that it looks or just his style. But usually, you know, moonsaults, things like that, they land, the wrestlers usually almost all land a certain way and sell a certain way. But Flip Casanova, even in his match on Impact, he landed when he was taking on Dakota Darso in such a way that I really thought he injured himself or he injured Darso. So Casanova maybe just a little more polish. Um, and he'll be another guy that'll do well in the X division. Samoa Joe and Kurt Angle's match, I don't even need to go into it. You know these guys are going to deliver a classic every time, which they did. Samoa Joe, uh, he seems to have renewed focus. They seem to be investing energy into him again. He's tweaked up his look a bit. He's not wearing the bi-colored shorts, which are just fucking terrible. He was wearing the the gladiator-style 
kind of Muay Thai shorts, which really work. Got himself a little mohawk action. He looks more aggressive. I think this is a renewed push for Joe, and I'm hoping that I see him in the main event on a full-time basis because he's he's such a complete wrestler, and he doesn't look like everybody else that you can really build your company around him, and they should do that because not for nothing, eventually WWE is going to take notice, and they're going to snatch Joe right out from under TNA. Last man standing with AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, another four-star classic from these guys. These guys always tremendous chemistry because they're buddies. And um, in some show news, we may be hearing from Christopher Daniel uh, from Christopher Daniels on MTR in the near future. Um, I'd, I'd like to say at least two weeks, but uh, right now we are ironing out all the details. So Christopher Daniels might take radio very soon. Lastly, of course, Austin Aries, Robert Roode had an awesome match. I, I really expected some sort of a screw job, and I'm glad they didn't do it. I'm so glad. It was a fantastic match. Robert Roode has come a long way from being on Team Canada when I used to watch the TNA Weekly pay-per-views to being in the tag team with um, James Storm and all the great things they did there. As a singles competitor, he is at the top of his game right now. And dropping the belt to Aries, Robert Roode had nothing else to prove. He held the belt the longest, and I think Aries can do really great things as the flag bearer for the company. And it opens up potential feuds, not only in the World Heavyweight rankings, but also even in the X Division rankings, because he can turn around and say, you know, I want to give everybody an opportunity, including my X Division brethren. It was a... A great pay-per-view. You really get to see what TNA is capable of when they apply themselves and focus on their talent and not stupid angles with Hogan and Sting and all that shit. So again, uh, great job from TNA. It was a fantastic pay-per-view, and I'm honestly glad that I watched this one because I was kind of on the fence about it. I'm super pumped, and I really enjoyed it. All right, let's get into Monday Night Raw. Alright, Monday Night Raw was without a doubt probably the shittiest Raw that I've seen in a while. If you want to know how shitty it was, you can just go and read Blade and Quark's Buried column because they they hit the nail on the head on multiple fronts. But a lot of the shit that, that was just ridiculous was the whole AJ Punk and Brian marry me, I'll marry you, where's the ring, fuck you, this angle shit. It was, it was probably one of the worst openings I've seen in a while. Usually when Raw opens up with, you know, the Triple H chords, you know you're going to get a 20-minute promo. Usually I'll go downstairs, make myself a snack, I'll come back upstairs, he'll still be talking, and I wouldn't have missed anything. The worst part of that opening segment was the fact that there was an awkward, it almost felt like an awkward pause between AJ and Punk to the point where you saw a guy holding up a sign that said, Bored. On the broadcast, when people are holding up signs that they're already bored, that's just not a good look. The angle just dragged on way too long, and this whole days of our lives, oh my god, I love you, he doesn't love you, oh my god, show me your tits type shit, it just, it sucks, it really sucks. I mean, wrestling is, for all intents and purposes, a soap opera. Men will never acknowledge that, but that's what it is. 
And if you want a better indicator, look at that opening segment on Raw. That shit was straight Days of Our Lives, Telemundo novela type shit. It was it was embarrassing to watch. Not because of the performers involved, because they're doing what they had to do, but just because the crowd knew that it was complete garbage. We also were treated to the fact that the anonymous GM was the uh, general manager this week. And th- that was complete shit, too. I mean, the only high point of Raw, in my opinion, probably, was the Ziggler 10 side taking on Christian and Tyson Kid match, which was passable at best. I mean, there were parts of the match that were a complete clusterfuck, but, you know, they're really pushing the whole 10 side Kid feud, making Tyson Kid the underdog going into this Money in the Bank match. So that I understand from an angle advancement standpoint. The John Cena promo was shit, and finding out. That Hornswoggle was the anonymous GM just took every ounce of wind out of my fucking sails completely. It sucked. Really did. It really did suck. Going with Michael Cole and Lawler again. Stupid. Completely stupid. Sin Cara and Heath Slater. It it, it was what it was. What you'd expect is exactly the way it went. But the, the, the payoff being... Hornswoggle just just ruined, it capped off a complete night of shit for me. I just felt that it it didn't, with a Raw leading into a major pay-per-view with Money in the Bank that has title implications, you would have thought they would have been going at all cylinders, leading also into the 1000th episode. That was not the fucking case. The only thing that could sum up Raw without me going into a, a, a fucking screaming fit is this. That's pretty much how I'm going to sum up Raw this week. So fuck the WWE and fuck Raw, and I'm glad that the boys buried them accordingly, because it was complete shit. Regarding TNA Impact, you know, coming off a pay-per-view that they did so well with, there were certain things I didn't like. That opener with Bully Ray and Joseph Park was shit. Samoa Joe and Rob Van Dam with the BFG... Uh, points on the line was kind of good it was it was crazy that rvd got the victory with the cradle versus them having a really good match i'm tired of the claire lynch angle with fucking aj and daniels and dixie carter i'm done i'm glad we didn't have to see that shit at the pay-per-view zima ion and dakota darso had a match jesse Sorensen is the catalyst obviously because they're building zima ion for a feud with Sorensen upon his return hopefully I just feel that a lot of the things that Zima Ion is doing are really ultra heelish, which is great, but it's also bordering on on insensitive that you're turning an injury like that into an angle. But again, it's making Zima Ion break out of his shell, which I was I was very impressive, and I, I can see Zima Ion's catchphrase catching on, where he said he's just not effing pretty, but he's pretty effing dangerous. I see that being a shirt. Zima Ion is coming to his own in terms of just mic presence and being a heel. That part was solid. Austin Aries and Robert Roode's promo work, bananas. I think Robert Roode showing that the, that the title loss was a fluke and just the emotion that was so raw made that segment awesome. Miss Tessmacher and Gail Kim's match was very, very safe. I think Miss Tessmacher still has a long way to go. And making her your your champion at this point is a recipe for disaster. 
Kurt Angle and Mr. Anderson and Mr. Anderson's Bound for Glory uh, series match was exactly what you'd expect at this point. Samoa Joe is still in first place. James Storm is in second. Kurt Angle is in third. And of course, this whole uh, dead man's hand thing that's going on with Sting and Hulk Hogan is leading to a possible Sting and Hogan tag team match against whoever dead man's hand is supposed to be. I mean, the angle is kind of, you know, I mean, eight mass dudes attacked him. So who knows? It might be a, a faction. It might be an invasion. Who knows at this point? I think if it's an invasion, it's maybe Ring of Honor or Dragon Gate or something like that. That would be a huge payoff. If it's just some fucking lame guys that are on the roster already, like Devon and Garrett Bischoff and Eric Bischoff, it's going to just, it's going to be pointless. So I really hope that the payoff is is good and not something that's that's just completely rushed and, and garbage. So there you have it. Raw was shit. TNA was passable this week. Let's get into the other wrestling news. Uh, Johnny Gargiano is rumored to be leaving Dragon Gate and going to WWE. Um, right now, he is the reigning Freedom Gate champion over there. And WWE is trying to score themselves a couple of wrestlers. Not only Gargiano, but also Sammy Callahan, who also wrestles for CZW, and Brody Lee, who they already got. I think Sammy Callahan, I'm a big fan of his work from CZW, also from Dragon Gate. He'll do good in the WWE. I just know that WWE tends to go on these talent acquisition sprees, and then when they grab all this talent, a lot of them end up failing and returning back to their promotions and looking terribly. We'll see. We'll see what how it goes, but I think Callahan definitely will, will be a welcome addition to the roster. Also rumored, <clears throat> I'm losing my voice. Christ. Also rumored to be signed is Sarah Del Rey. They're saying that she was offered a developmental deal. Some people are saying that she's gonna be. She was being brought in to help train the WWE Divas. I think Del Rey would make a tremendous addition to the Divas division if they want to start taking wrestling seriously. <clears throat> but. The worst part of it all is that Del Rey is not your typical diva. So you can't sugarcoat her and dress her all sexy and shit. You have to let her wrestling do the work for you. If you do anything less than that, you're going to ruin her character. As I was mentioning, talking about Ring of Honor, Kenny King and Rhett Titus were stripped of the tag team titles due to Kenny's unfortunate departure, according to Ring of Honor. They're going to do an eight-man tournament, which starts August 3rd, to crown new Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions. We got Raw 1000 in two weeks, and of course, The Rock is super pumped, tweeting that he's going to be there, that he wants the WWE Championship. CM Punk added a little fuel to the fire by telling The Rock that he is waiting. So who knows, we may get a nice little exchange between CM Punk and The Rock. On the NXT front, there are rumors that JR mentioned in his blog that the NXT show will be getting its own champion, which if it does, will create a lot of opportunities, according to JR, to, for, for making it onto the SmackDown or Raw roster. So we, NXT may get its own champion. We'll see how that goes. Now, the big wrestling story to close things out is the rumor that Karma was released. Her bio was moved from regular raw roster to the alumni then it was moved back tmz is reporting that she was released so as of right now there's a lot of misinformation floating on the web if she got released it's unfortunate you know she suffered that miscarriage she wanted to come back 
It can also be an angle where she's being released and then she just attacks the divas on the 1000th episode. Take this with a grain of salt right now. It's in the rumor mill. But if she was released, it's a, it's a tremendous, tremendous fuck up by the WWE. I'm sure TNA will bring her back immediately to pump up the knockouts division. But WWE worked so hard to bring her in. They built her up so well. And then to just, you know, fold up your tent and go home. I mean, she did have her personal issues, but they were legitimate. Hopefully, she is going to be at the 1,000th episode, and this is just all hearsay at the moment, but TMZ is saying that it's it's legit. We'll see what happens come Raw 1,000. Wow, I can't believe I'm really losing my voice for some reason. I think it's allergies. Anyway, that's going to wrap up this week's wrestling segment. All right, guys, movies, let's get it. Spartans! What is your profession? There we go. Alright, first off, the Superman homepage actually dropped some confirmation that you will be seeing a Man of Steel trailer with the screenings of the Dark Knight Rises. As of right now, they're saying that it's going to be for Dark Knight Rises showings in Australia. Don't know 100% if that's going to happen in the U.S., but... Hopefully, we will get a teaser trailer, so be on the lookout for that if you go to see The Dark Knight Rises. In the first bit of What the Fuck movie news, Movie Hold is reporting that Disney is working on a sequel to the 1993 film Hocus Pocus, which I remember watching when I was 13 years old, starring uh, Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy Najimy. Now, it looks like they're going to tell a brand new story and they're going to try and maximize the fact that the franchise is going into an anniversary milestone so that they can release it. I really think that if done right, it might work, but it's a franchise that had a fan base that was, you know, moderate at best. I mean, this is one of those things where Disney is bringing back something that unless they release it for Halloween or they do some huge advertising campaign, it's just a recipe for disaster. But, like anything else, we're going to take a wait-and-see approach, and we'll see if Disney can do the job, and if they can get the entire cast back to, to continue the story of the Three Witches. We shall see. On the box office fronts, and as a shock to no one, The Amazing Spider-Man is number one. $65 million on the three-day weekend. It opened Tuesday. It's now grossed $140 million domestically and $341 million worldwide in six days. Had a budget of $220 million, which it's already made back on the, on the global front. But <clears throat> one of the things to consider is the fact that the numbers that it's had are lower than the Sam Raimi Spider-Man film. So I think people just were not in the mood to re-see the origin of Spider-Man again. Something that should be food for thought. Ted is number two. Pixar's Brave is three. The Savages was four. Magic Mike was five. Medea's Witness Protection was six. Madagascar three was seven. Katy Perry was eight. Moonrise Kingdom was nine. And To Roam with Love is number ten. In some video game movie news, which everybody was talking about, Michael Fassbender has been announced as co-producing and starring in the film adaptation of Assassin's Creed. As of right now, it's looking like they're going to 
uh, center around the Desmond Miles story. Some people are saying that it may be something completely different. Nonetheless, Fassbender will be involved in co-producing it and presumably playing the lead. I think Fassbender, if he's going to do it, he should definitely do the Desmond Miles story. You can have a little fun with that and also go into Altair and Ezio stories as well. You can create a complete franchise from these games that would do well if they are handled properly. The source material is there. All that, all, all you know, Hollywood has to do is translate it to the screen. You can bring Kristen Bell in, cast her as the love interest for Desmond, much like they already did in the game since she did the voice work for the character of Lucy. It's a no-brainer. But please, 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 I'm begging you. Use the stories from the game. It's so easy to lay it out. You can do the first game without to ear Desmond and just make an Assassin's Creed trilogy and do it by the books. If you start tweaking shit and going too crazy with it, it's gonna fail like most video game movies do. Simple as that. Of course, The Dark Knight is practically a week away, and of course, Christopher Nolan is being uh, rumored to be involved in the Justice League film and all this stuff, but Christopher Nolan went on record and said, I'm not doing shit. The Batman movie is it. I'm not doing the Justice League stuff. I'm done. He went on to say it like this. We're finished with all we're doing with Batman. This is This is the end of our take on the character. Leave the man alone. He wants to go out on a high note. Do not press the issue. I'm sure they're going to try a little further, but as of right now, he's done. He is completely done with DC stories for the time being. In some Marvel casting news, Superhero Hype reported that they got already some cast members lined up for the Wolverine. Hiroyuki Sanada, who was in Rush Hour 3, he played the bad guy um, opposite Jackie Chan. He's going to be playing Shinjen. Hal Yamanuchi, who was in uh, Life Aquatic, uh, is going to be playing Yoshida. And Tao Okamoto will be playing Mariko. And Rila Fukushima will be playing Yukio. This particular film is going to follow the Chris Claremont Frank Miller series where Wolverine was in Japan. And um, they also cast Silver Samurai and Harada as well. Will Yoon Lee. Um, who, who's been in Hawaii Five O? he's going to be playing Harado, which is, of course, the Silver Samurai. And Brian T. is going to be playing Noburo Mori, which is a uh, corrupt minister of justice who's supposed to be marrying Mariko before Logan shows up. So most of the principal casting is in place. I think the story's going to do well. It's going to be tough, though, because, like I've said, Wolverine is ultra-violent. So if you can't do that justice, it's not going to do well. Simple as that. The other what the fuck movie news for this week is Roland Emmerich has said that there is a fully complete script for a sequel to Independence Day. Not only that, but he's also working on producing another Stargate as well. Take that as you will, but I think Independence Day sequel maybe might work. I mean, considering we've seen Battleship, Battle Los Angeles, and all this alien alien destruction of various American cities. I think we're aliened out. So if you're going to do it, wait a little bit. And regarding Stargate, I didn't feel Stargate was sequel was sequel worthy to begin with. I think the TV shows expanded on that universe very well. So I honestly don't see the necessity for a sequel, but 
Looks like Roland Emmerich is looking for that big-ass payday. The other what-the-fuck movie news for this week, coming soon, has confirmed that DreamWorks will be putting out the Need for Speed movie, February 7th, 2014. So, it's going to follow, you know, the great car culture films of the 70s. So, um, really, a Need for Speed movie? I thought we already had that, and it was called Fast and Furious, but guess not. In some Ghostbusters 3 news, Variety's reporting that Sony Pictures hired Etten Cohen, who did Men in Black and Tropic Thunder and Idiocracy, to rewrite Ghostbusters 3. As far as I'm concerned, if there's no Bill Murray, don't do it. The way they want to set this up is that Ramis, Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, and Bill Murray pass the torch to a new generation of Ghostbusters, clearly to set up a brand new franchise. The problem is, Bill Murray has not been receptive. And if you can't get Bill Murray to do this, leave it the fuck alone. I'm serious. Leave it alone. Because it's going to suck. A couple, of, a couple of months back, I was talking about the possibility of a God of War film, and it kind of got quiet for a bit. The Hollywood Reporter said that the writers of some of the sequels for Saw are actually working on the film adaptation of God of War. These particular two writers also wrote The Collector and Guillermo del Toro's Pacific Rim. So they're going to be working on bringing God of War to the big screen. As far as I'm concerned, God of War has the potential to be really good on the big screen. Just look at how well the Clash of the Titans remake was done. Well, how well it was done, the first one, not the lackluster sequel, the first one. And... Borrow elements from that and then toss everything else out the window and stick to the fucking source material. I'm begging you, please. Stick to the material. A God of War film will do good if it's done in the same style as 300 and you have a solid lead as Kratos and you have amazing visual effects. It has the potential to be a moneymaker for any studio. But if you veer off into other directions... People are gonna shit on the product. Simple as that. That, that. That's the only way God of War has the potential to work. You can take... I mean, Vin Diesel is Kratos for all intents and purposes. You look at him, that's who you see. It would be a great vehicle for him, but again, source material. Stick to it. One of my favorite directors, Eli Roth, is gonna be getting back into the director's chair with a story about Jonathan Harker, um, and of course, wherever Jonathan Harker is, Dracula is, of course, close by. In this particular case, Jonathan Harker is tracking Dracula on behalf of Scotland Yard, and there are rumors that Russell Crowe will be playing Dracula in this particular film. Eli Roth is an amazing director. He does awesome horror stuff. He has a great eye for going low budget, but doing a really good job with it. I think that Russell Crowe as Dracula, I would have to see it, because Russell Crowe is one of those guys, in certain roles, he excels, in other roles, he just bombs terribly, we've seen that already, Um, Robin Hood is a great example, Robin Hood is like, hey look, we're going to play Maximus with a bow and arrow, and it's just, it just didn't work, I really want to see what Russell Crowe can bring to the character of Dracula that we haven't seen already, and I think Eli Roth is definitely the guy to do it. It's going to go into production later this year for a release next year. 
Channing Tatum is in the movie news twice this week. Number one, because he wants to do a biopic on Evil Knievel. Number two, because as a no-brainer, he is working on a sequel to Magic Mike and 21 Jump Street. So there you have it. Magic Mike is getting a sequel. And Channing Tatum confirmed it with Glamour Magazine, and he said, yes, we're working on the concept now. We want to flip the script and make it bigger. What it, what, how much more stripping can be involved? Will there be complimentary Fifty Shades of Grey books outside the theater before you walk in? Seriously, what else are you going to do? But, obviously, too much of a good thing isn't bad in Hollywood, and more stripping Channing Tatum seems to be the way to go. Last but not least, the Fantastic Four reboot is moving forward. Josh Trank, who did Chronicle, has been announced as the director, and it looks like it's going to be the next Marvel production after Wolverine and the sequel to X-Men First Class to hit the big screen. Obviously, brand new cast, brand new take on it. Hopefully, we shall see what they do with the Fantastic Four. Honestly, the other films weren't that terrible. Chris Evans was an amazing human torch. Don't know who can play him, but here's what we're going to do. Once the show is over, I want to hear from you guys, the listeners, our fans on Facebook. We want you to cast the four, the five roles in Fantastic Four. Reed Richards, Sue Storm, The Thing, Human Torch, and Doctor Doom. I want to see what you guys come up with. When the show's over, go on to the fan page, and I want to hear what you guys have to say about casting choices for a new Fantastic Four film. Last but not least, on some Daredevil new and on the Daredevil front, David Slade, who was rumored to be the director, has dropped out. Primarily due to scheduling issues because he is working on the pilot for the Hannibal TV show. So there you have it. Lastly, you guys know I put up the trailer for The Man with the Iron Fist on the website. Finally got a release date. November 2nd, 2012 is the release date. So if you want to watch some some serious Kung Fu shit, November 2nd is your date. Alright guys, we almost went the full three hours this week. Super pumped. I gotta thank Kevin Beard for coming and visiting with us, talking some games. And of course our friends and content partners at MMA Valor, Josh Wood. Great guys. Again, follow them on Twitter and all the social media outlets that they announced in their segments. And, of course, be on the lookout for those links in the show notes. That's going to wrap up My Take Radio episode 145 for this week. Um, As always, if you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest, email us at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. If you're interested in advertising, sponsoring a segment, or just promoting your product on the show, email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com or fill out the form on the site. Either way, we'll definitely put together an advertising campaign that works for your brand. Hit us up. We're giving you a hardcore, supportive audience, great content. And not only that, your message lives on because our shows are broadcast through various podcasting outlets and via Stitcher and TuneIn Radio as well. So if you're interested in advertising, again, drop us a line, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. And we can work something out or, you know, I'll give you a number to call us directly and we'll take it from there. If you want to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Twitter at MyTakeRadio. 
if you want to become a fan, make sure to hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash MyTakeRadio. Last but not least, add us to your circle on Google+. We're looking to engage more with our Google Plus followers, so please, we're going to post content in there. Make sure to communicate with us. Let us know what you want us to do. You know, we want to try and do some more stuff with Twitter. Um, MTR TV on YouTube is going to be getting some content next week. I'm not going to tell you guys what it is yet, but you're going to start seeing an increased video presence. Last but not least, of course, make sure to pick up the My Take Radio app. It's $1.99, available for Android and iOS devices. Get access to 96K stereo episodes of MTR. Not only that, but you get exclusive segments such as MTR Behind the Mic, MTR Beyond the Mic, the Minority Film Report. You're going to get mobile wallpapers, and we may even start doing some video stuff as well. Again, head over to Amazon to pick it up for Android and, of course, iTunes for iOS. Last but not least, you can listen to My Take Radio on Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, the Zoom Marketplace, Blueberry, Miro, and TuneIn Radio as well. iTunes subscribers, please do us a favor. We'd really appreciate if you take a couple of moments and rate the show and put up a review. It helps us get more exposure not only on iTunes, but also to other audiences as well. It takes a few seconds, and we'd really, really, really appreciate it. I will catch you guys next Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. Until then, I'm Rich. My Take Radio 146 is in the can. Peace. That's all, folks.